Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast. I'm Sarah Ipschdecker. And I'm Ollie Brady. In this podcast, we watch movies, TV shows, and we read books that depict the medieval world. We look at both historical fiction and medieval-esque fantasy, and we kind of discuss what to get right, what to get wrong, and what this tells us about how modern people think the medieval past was. Um, and that is a really awkward sentence I just said. But anyway, um, Sarah, why did you choose to do this podcast? I decided to do this podcast because I'm a medieval historian. I teach medieval history and my students come into class and think that the Middle Ages was basically Game of Thrones. And because uh, I watched this movie as a young medievalist just starting out college and got very, very angry about it. And oh. now I'm even angrier. <laughs> you you did <laughs> seem quite angry as you're watching it. Now, as we know, and I, I like to throw this shade Sarah's way a lot of times because she denies the existence of Prima Nocta. Um, because it's not a thing. It definitely was a thing. Um, now, the most important question that I've always wanted to know is, exactly when was the Dragon Times? Uh, I think we're basically in them. I mean, so this movie, you know, the real conquest of Jerusalem, it was actually destroyed by a dragon. What? I, I mean... I would... Uh, I w- I, I believe this is flabbergasted. That's have, not true. I'm flabbergasted. That's not true, but I almost would have preferred that to this movie. Oh, wait. As a historical inaccuracy. Wait, are you... Hmm, wait, I, no, I don't know. I don't know if you're messy with me now. I don't know if... Oh, God, this is the question. The, the eternal question that I always say is, is there anything which isn't improved by the presence of a dragon? And I guess I gotta say, is Kingdom of Heaven? Would it be better if there was a dragon in it? I feel like kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Still, <laughs> dragons are batting a thousand. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sarah, what is the movie we're watching today? So, as we have hinted at a couple of times, we are watching 2005's Kingdom of Heaven, a movie that for some reason everyone is in. And I don't know why none of them had something better, didn't have something better to do. But they're, they're getting that, that sweet, sweet cash. Yeah, there's a lot of people in this movie that I really hope got to take home a nice fat paycheck. Uh, they have to have, because otherwise there's no reason for them to be doing it. Um, This is Sarah's favorite movie. Like We're going to cover <laughs> my favorite movie and Sarah's favorite movie at some stage of the podcast. So uh, at some stage we will cover The 13th Warrior Um. Uh, but Sarah got in first and she's like, no, Ollie, we, we have to do Kingdom of Heaven. We have to do it. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to have the best time you've ever had watching a movie. And I was like, I don't think, I don't think this is going to be the best time I ever had watching a movie. And Sarah's like, yeah, everyone's in it and they're all great. So um, just who is in this movie, Sarah? So first of all, I don't think that happened. But second of all, uh, Orlando Bloom stars in this movie, Legolas himself. Orlando Bloom, the the most talented of all the young British actors at the time. He's he's very pretty. <laughs> he is a very pretty man. Yeah. Um, as is Eva Green, who is also in this movie, and she is gorgeous. Eva Green is yeah, she's all right. I mean, she's um, just she's just fine. Not as, pretty as, not as pretty as Orlando Bloom, I guess. Well, very few people are as pretty as Orlando Bloom. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Michael Sheen makes a brief appearance. <gasps> Wesley Snipes. Yeah, Wesley Snipes himself. And Liam Neeson is in this movie um, as a major role for the first chunk of the movie. Yeah, uh, the good thing about this is, um, as an Irishman, um, sometimes Liam Neeson has said some, let's just admit it, flat out racist things in the past. And, yep. um, and by the past, I mean the present. And while we were recording this, uh, during the week when we watched Kingdom of Heaven, and I had, I don't think I've maybe I'd watched it once before, but 10 years ago, whatever. Um, it was the week where all of this came out that he, um, yep, is flat out no racist. So it made watching his character in this a lot easier to stomach because, my god, what a shit of a human being he is in this movie. Yep. Um, but apparently they didn't think that when writing this movie, which is one of the reasons that I hate it. Oh, it's, it's, oh, his character is the worst. Um, but Liam Neeson, um, good actor. Enjoyable yes. to watch. What talented a shit, actor. shit character this is. Yeah, shit character, but talented actor. And he's kind of carrying the movie for a bit, uh, before it is then carried for a bit by Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons shows up as Tiberius. Yes. Uh, and Alexander Siddick as Imad Adin Ali Sfahani. Uh, so this, by the way, is uh, he's Doran Martell. He's in 24 at some point. Uh, you know, really solid actor. Yeah, he's um, he's the bad guy stroke, not bad guy stroke, good guy in uh, day six of 24. Yeah, that day sounds seven. right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's the one where the nuclear bomb goes off. Yeah. And then he's, yeah, yeah. When well, we don't need to go into it. We're, Sarah and myself both love 24. But um, I actually, I think it's season five. Is that the one where they're in DC or no? Yes, they're in DC. I think that's six. That's six. Well, there we go. That was right the first time. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good with being right the first time and not second guess. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's also the doctor on um, Deep Space Nine. And uh, and he's great. I think he's I think he's great in everything. Every time I see him in anything, I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, Alexander Siddig, nice. I've been told that he is the only good part of. Um, oh shoot, now I can't remember what that movie is called. Clash of the Titans. I can't even remember him in Clash of the Titans. I know Liam Neeson's in one of them. Uh, well, as we've shown on a previous episode, we only semi remember things about Greek mythology, so maybe we that, shouldn't do that one. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> Uh, let's see who else is in it. Uh, David Thewlis, Remus Lupin himself, and Brendan Gleeson, Matt I. Moody himself. So uh, two Defense Against the Dark Arts professors in a row. Mm, well, Brendan, you know, he, he didn't really. Matt I. Moody didn't really get a chance to teach much since he was wrapped up in a box. I'm surprised it didn't let him come back the next year. <laughs> it's I just know, right? Like, what's going on? Oh, oh, you managed to get yourself captured. Mm, you can't be a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher anymore. Maybe he was supposed to, but Umbridge intervened. Yeah. Like maybe Umbridge got him fired. Fucking Umbridge, she's yeah. the worst. I uh, that would make sense. And I, I have a quick question, sir. Um, yes. What is a uh, hospitaller? The uh, hospitallers are a military, um, are a kind of military crusading order. Good. Just I, I want everyone who's listening. I did mispronounce that on purpose for a reason, <laughs> and I'm throwing shade at one of our listeners who I know in real life who once pronounced that that way. Say, so, Ollie, what's a hopitaller? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? So, Craig, that's just for you. Um, uh, then we got Martin Chokas. 
Um, yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that's harsh pronounced as. Uh, as I think that's what we said last time. <laughs> yeah, Guy de Lusignan. Guy de Lusignan. Oh, you're so good with the languages. Um, and he was the bad guy job. in timeline, and he's the bad guy in this because he's a human being who looks like a bad guy. He does. He looks just angry all the time. He does. He looks really mad. Um, Edward Norton is in this movie hidden under a mask the entire time. I was delighted to find this. He started talking. I was like, this, uh, the first thing that popped into my head was, this is somebody doing a Marlon Brando impression. And then after another minute or so, I was like, this is Edward Norton doing, and I had to, like, I rarely look stuff up while we're watching movies, but I genuinely, I was like, I have to look this up. Who is this? And it's Ed Norton. And it's like Ed Norton doing it. And I know he's got a mask on his face, but it's just such a weird affectation he's going for as he's speaking. Um, Then we got Jamie Lannister, uh, Nikolai Coster, Waldo. Uh, well, do um, as he's as the village sheriff at the very beginning, and he just kind of shows up. You're like, Oh, who's this handsome man? Oh, he's gone. Bye. And mm. then, very briefly at the end, in yet another Game of Thrones appearance, uh, Ian Glenn, Jorah Mormont, appears as Richard the Lionheart for like a minute. Yeah, I so yesterday evening, um, as we're recording this, so this is back in February because the people will be listening to this way after this. I randomly was looking for something to kill some time on Netflix and I watched the last Resident Evil movie and uh-huh. Ian Glenn is in it and I was so shocked to see him in it I was like what why no surely you're better than this and I realized no he's not it's Ian Glenn he, he he would he would do anything he's a working actor as they like to say um yeah it's, and great, also, it's good to see him before Game of Thrones, like, did anybody really know who he is? Like, I mean, I feel like Game of Thrones is kind of his breakout role, despite the fact that he's like a teeny bit old for having a breakout role in Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, well, just in case anyone thinks we're throwing shade his way, he's a very attractive older man. And he's like, and he's talented, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he would have been a lot of uh, British um, TV uh, adaptations and stuff. So, like, I would have been aware of him. Like, I knew who Ian Glenn was. But, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not like he wasn't a household name. But, yeah, he's good. And uh, he's really good as Gerard Mormont. Yeah. Captain Friendzone. <laughs> I'd say poor Jorah Mormont. But actually, nah. <laughs> <laughs> she loved me eventually, this child. Yeah, eventually this, like, 16-year-old girl is going to decide she wants to sleep with me, a man old enough probably actually to be her grandfather. Yeah, in in the book, she's younger again, and he definitely, he has to be touching 40. So I think she's, like, 12 or 13. It's just, ugh, it's uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. But we'll get into the actual going through this movie. I I can't wait to go through this. Um, In a section we call... Innumeratio. I love it. I love it. I mean, hate it. (laughs) Shoot myself. Nope, it's great. We're going to keep going with it forever. No, so Sarah, take us through this movie. So the title card informs us that we are in France 1184, where we meet a blacksmith named Balian, who is depressed because his wife killed herself, uh, implicitly over grief because their kid died. This Mm. is woman number one in the movie, she dies violently off spring, off screen. There goes woman number one. 
Yeah, this this whole scene is, I mean, what I just don't like. There are three people at the very beginning trying to bury a body, and one of them is a priest played by Michael Sheen, and there are just two randomers who are like digging up the hole or whatever, and the so the priest like. Well, he robs a necklace from around her neck and then says, don't bury her. You have to cut off her head because she committed suicide. Right. So basically, it's just the priest is an asshole. Is yeah, he's an absolute. Oh, we know. Played by Michael Sheen, which is perfection because that guy can play assholes very, very well. Yeah. He, uh, he does a really good, like, smarmy creep. Mm, so. He's- Definitely very good. And he's a smarmy creep in this. Then we have uh, Liam Neeson and his group of merry men show up. um, Yep. And he turns out to be Orlando Bloom's dad. Orlando Bloom's never met him. He's never met Orlando Bloom, but he's tracked himself down to being his dad. And then how how does that go, Sarah? Yeah. So I think we're going to need to play the actual clip, but basically, so what he says something along the lines of, I knew your mother against her objections but i did not force her I, that sure sounds a lot like he raped her what what does that what does that even mean it sounds like a rapist pretending he's not a rapist that's yeah that's what it sounds but is what it sounds like to me but i don't even like it was against her objections but i did not force her i mean what what i object but i'll go along with like what do you fuck you godfrey I mean, my disgusting guess, I assume, is that he means he raped her, but she then seemed like she was moderately into it, or at least he convinced himself of that, so therefore it automatically, in retrospect, does not count as rape. Hmm, I get you, I understand. Yep. Nope, I don't understand. It's a rape. Um, yep. Where, where is Ebelin? Uh, Ebelin is uh, just in the Middle East, uh, so it's just one of the kind of crusader landholdings. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm just wondering how he managed to become the Baron of Ebelin. Just because he was good sword fighting? I mean, so the real person that he's based on, um, this mm-hmm. is like a family that was out there for a bit. Ah, um, I so I think you. they're actually descended from the pe- from people who were crusaders back in 1096. Hmm. All right, I get you. That's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, he shows up um, and Liam Neeson is an Irishman and... Balian is an English, oh, sorry, uh, Orlando Bloom is an Englishman, and they both appear to be playing Frenchmen. Yes, which, as they should. Know, as, as you would. As, as you <laughs> um, so Balian is that even, he like, he rejects Godfrey's advances, like his mother had before him. Oh. And um, <laughs> that evening, the priest comes, he's like, yeah, you might as well leave the town, you might as well go with him, like, I'm the priest, and... You can People erase gonna, the sins of your suicide wife. Yeah, now this is where you're like, erase the sins of your suicide wife. And then um, Orlando Bloom turns around and sees that he's wearing the uh, necklace of his dead wife. Um, so he stabs him with a sword. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on board with this. This guy deserves that. Yeah. Oh, robbing my dead wife. Yeah. Then he also sets him on fire. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> I And it's an old, it's a medieval town. So there's a good chance the entire town burned down. <laughs> Right, I mean, he, like, sets him on fire, and then he, like, runs out of their dumb hut into the streets on fire. And and he, like, and, like, it looks like the whole hut is just burning as he's leaving. 
So I feel like that raises a lot of questions that are not answered. Yeah, it's weird. Then um, he, he catches up with his dad. His dad goes up, are you going to kill me? And he's like, no, there's no place for me back there. I did a murder. And then Liam Season's like, yeah, fair enough. Come along. I've, I've done plenty of them murders, son. And I'm a rapist. Um, so, I mean, yeah. you know, the bar is really low in this family. <laughs> so he decides to let him come along. And then they pull in for a stream for the night. So I think they're, they're, it's literally the first morning they're together. And then Jamie Lannister shows up and he's like, yeah, I'm coming to take Billy in because he killed the priest. And, you know, he has to atone for sins. And Liam Neeson goes, fuck off. <laughs> you want him? Come and get him. It is it's so random there's also this whole bizarre thing at this point where he basically says oh we'll have it be a trial by combat you can try to take him from me and if you succeed then i guess that means he's guilty that's not how trial by combat works yeah also there's a couple of things that i have issue in this here is we have um number right so i'll take it in in advanced terms right so the sheriff and his men show up, right? And it's not like the sheriff and 200 men show up. It's the sheriff and like 10 men show up. Yeah. And they come to a camp which has, is filled with, or filled, it's filled, Sarah. It's filled <laughs> with serious looking fighting men. Like these look like knights. They look like crusaders. They look like a bunch of badasses, to be honest with you. And they're all sitting around a campfire. And the sheriff walks in and is like, yeah, we're going to take this boy. Yeah. What? Like, what are you doing? And then, so he obviously gets turned on his Todd and he leaves, right? And then Liam Neeson's group are like, oh, yeah, well, he left. And then Liam Neeson says that won't be the last we see him. Literally 10 seconds later, they get shot with arrows from the woods. I'm thinking, well, do you not understand that bows and arrows exist? Like, these men went, <laughs> they went out of eye shot got off their horses and walked back and fired arrows at you right and you're you're you you have been through 40 years of war yeah. and you're all sitting there like oh shit arrows oh shit arrows yeah they literally go just far enough away to be out of the range of their swords yeah and then fire arrows back at them where a bunch of them get like pin cushioned with arrows at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, in including the German Viking dude. Um, and the one black man who is inexplicably part of uh, Godfrey Liam Neeson's uh, retinue. Yeah, he just dies immediately and I don't think we ever know his name. That's right. Black guy with no name is now dead. Um, so. German-looking German dude, uh, Viking-looking dude, now dead. Um, they got to die in a cool way, but still, they're they're gone from the movie. Um David Thewlis was at some point in the middle of the battle, taps uh, Balian on the head with a sword. Just, it's like, okay. And also, Balian has had 20 minutes conservatively of sword fighting practice with Liam Neeson's character, who tells, right. him, who tells him to hold a high guard. Um, now, I get it if you're being attacked by a person on a horse, Holding a high guard makes perfect sense because the guy's going to be hitting downwards with his sword. But he's fighting Liam Neeson on flat ground and he's holding a high guard. Liam Neeson will just thrust forward and stab you in the stomach. And based it's, on the movie, the high guard is the only thing he learned how to do. So. It is literally the only thing he learned how to do. And there are other points in the movie where he's still got the high guard. And I'm going, what? 
dude, you would be dead. Like you're, you're literally, your stomach is exposed yeah. to absolutely every weapon under the sun here. Nope, nope. My dad, Liam Neeson, he told me to use this. That's this is what, what I'm he told do. me to do. I thought that Lupin like hit him on the head to knock him out so he wouldn't do anything stupid. No, he do- he doesn't knock him out. That's oh. the thing. He so Billiant um is fighting with a guy and he gets the better of him and kills him and then the next person comes running past on a horse or riding past on a horse and looks like he's gonna kill him with a a deathly sword blow but he just taps him on the head and then he turns around and it's Lupin and he gives him a wink and then rides off and you're like right so okay so why did he hit him on the head just like. I think it was just meant to be like this shock moment for the, the viewers. But also, uh, hey, I saw you kill that dude. You're obviously a really good swordsman like your dad. Also, by the way, your dad's been shot in the side. Yes. Let him die. Yeah, he gets shot in the side and it's like, yeah, this guy's going to die. Thank goodness. Um, but he did get to smash Nicholas Colster Waldo's head. So that was good. Bye, Jamie. Smash him with a sword. Bye bye, Jamie Lannister. <sighs> Barely knew you. <laughs> you were in this movie for like four minutes. Uh, and then they keep traveling again. Oh, also, we forgot to give the directions that um, Liam Neeson gives him. Yes, he says. Uh, we, oh, we does should, that come yeah. after? No, it's it's before. It's when he first yeah. comes and uh, and Orlando Bloom says like, "No, I don't want anything to do with you." And he says, "Well, if you change your mind, this is how you get to Jerusalem." And it's go to where the men speak Italian, and then keep going till they speak something else. Yeah, go toward go east to where the men speak Italian, then keep going east until they speak something else. It's like the least helpful set of directions I've ever heard. <laughs> He basically just says, go east until you hit Jerusalem. <laughs> and I got directions. I've gotten directions that were not that much better than that. Uh, in fact, when I first was going to uh, to the archives for the first time, uh, my undergraduate advisor gave me directions, which actually were not that different from that. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's pretty bad for the directions to get from France to Jerusalem. <laughs> It, it's pretty bad for the directions to get to anything. Yeah. Like if if your sat nav did that, you'd be like, "Fuck off." <laughs> so we then finally get to uh, we get to Sicily, and um, Godfrey is dying. He's been um, shot by this arrow through the side, and they've kept him alive Good. a little bit. And he <laughs> and he he knights he knights Billion on his deathbed. And orders him to go to the king of Jerusalem on his behalf and uh, and be a good knight. He's like, I want you to be a good knight. And then for some reason, this affects Balian. Like, he's like, oh, oh, my dad, like he wants me to be a good knight. I'd better be a good knight, just like he was. You know, Godfrey the Rapist. Yeah, how have we just moved into him being a great dude? There's very little to see that their relationship has meaningfully developed. And even if it has had time to develop, this dude still just raped your mom. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, Another woman, so by the way, who was dead and nameless. <laughs> she doesn't need to have a name. She's just Billion's mother. Um, and then we uh, get the title during the speech. We get the title of the movie. It's the kingdom of heaven. Hey, that's the name of this movie. It is the name of this movie. It's, it's oh, so bad. Yeah. Ugh. Do not disappoint me. Like, <laughs> uh. Yeah. So yeah, Liam Neeson says that to, to Bailey and it's like, 
The bar is so low, though. Mm. Um, then, as he's traveling, now, I, for the record, um, was having internet troubles while I was watching this. And I was watching, no, sorry, I wasn't having internet troubles. I forgot to clean the DVD uh, <laughs> when I was watching this. And this skipped, so I just kind of took it out, wiped it, and put it back in. One of one of my two copies of this movie. Don't ask why, listeners, but I own two copies of this movie. Can I ask uh, why you own two copies of this movie? <laughs> yes. Uh, I own two copies because I bought the first copy, the one that I watched, because I was like, ah, Kingdom of Heaven. I might I might give this a go. Like, Let's see how, how good it is. And then the second copy, and this is way more embarrassing is I was in a DVD uh, emporium and I wanted to buy Tristan and Isolde <laughs> and the the only way I could do that was to buy it in a double DVD set with Kingdom of Heaven wow that's such a fascinating combination of terrible movies in one delightful package it is for some reason <laughs> i also own a second copy of tristan and, Azul, <laughs> and i don't know why that is either but oh god i've got to stop buying movies with people with, oh this is so, that guy's got a sword on the front um but as, yeah as, uh, yeah Bad, bad, bad movies. Um, but yeah, at this point, the, my DVD skipped, so I kind of wiped up. Uh, and uh, Sarah was watching it uh, in her neck of the woods, and um, I didn't even tell her to pause or anything. It's like I'll catch up. So I caught up, and um, yeah, his boat had sunk. <laughs> I'm like, well, what's going on? And uh, so I said, Sarah, what happened here? She was like, just a random storm. It's such an unnecessary little extra bit of drama that just his boat sinks that he's the only survivor and now he's stranded on a beach shore. Now, this is important to me. He He's on a boat. There's a lot of people on this boat. It sinks. He's like Sarah's not joking when she says he's the only survivor. Um, Except the why? horse. Except for the horse. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to the horse in a second. But he's why? Why is he the only survivor? Like, surely some of the sailors would be better swimmers than he would be. Surely any of the other people who were on the boat, like, and there were, it was packed, right? So surely somebody else was able to swim to the shore. But no, it's just dead bodies and Balian. I mean, as we've learned, his 20 minutes of uh, sword training has made him a master swordsman. So I assume Liam Neeson also spent like half an hour teaching him to swim. Oh, yeah. And then he turned into like... um that's the name of Michael Phelps. America's I was going to say Michael Phelps, but you got there before I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> turn them into Mark Spitz. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Oh, you're such a baby, Sarah. He was like the Michael Phelps from the 80s. I mean, honestly, the only reason I remember Michael Phelps' name is because A, he's from the same area that I grew up in, and B, he's in all of these commercials that play while I watch 90 Day Fiance. And also because you can't think of his name without going America um, because it's the I think most I patriotic do thing in the world <laughs> everyone loves Michael Phelps but um, except except the other swimmers they're like fuck off Phelps um, but anyway so we get this uh, bit where he wakes up uh, on the beach and he gets this horse and it's a lovely white horse um, and he good horse uh, yeah he, he he scares it off at first and then he goes to take a drink. He goes wandering in. He finds a little river, you know, in the desert, as you do. And then um, the horse kind of wanders over to take a drink, too. And he's like, okay, you're my horse now. 
And then these two Arabian, and I'm using Arabian because that seems to be the way that they're described later on in the book. It's like, you're Arabians. I, mm, okay. Um, yeah, the term these... most medieval Christians would have used would have been Saracen, which they weirdly do not use very often in this movie, which is a weird choice. Yeah, it's only, I think Saracen's only used once. And they definitely say, he definitely says Arabians when he, so if somebody says to him, what happened to you? And he says, I fought two Arabians. I'm like, oh, what? Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is, okay. But um, so he, so he has this sword fight with one of them. One of them's Alexander Siddig, who is pretending to be a servant. Um, and as Sarah, Sarah pointed yet. out, as she, she's like, I don't think he's the servant. Or he's definitely, like, she, I think you said something along the lines of, he's definitely more important. Later on. <laughs> like, um, but he, Billion fights the other guy who is meant to be the Lord. And um, because he's had 20 minutes of training, he's obviously an amazing swordsman now. And can and beat def- this guy. He's probably been learning how to fight with a sword since he was like five. Yeah. And a guy who also has a spear. Yep. Uh, so like it's a spearman and a swordsman he's fighting and he beats him with the spear and then the sword and uh, and he kills him. Um, and then he has a chance to kill Alexander Siddig, but doesn't chooses not to, which tells you that he's going to become important later on. Um, and but, that Orlando Bloom has so much honor. Uh, of course, he's got the most amount of honor of any man ever, just like his dad, the rapist. Um, so, Sarah, uh, what's the best line in this movie? The best line in this movie is Orlando Bloom yelling, I took this horse from the sea. <laughs> because he's got this he's got this very beautiful horse and Alexander Siddick's character is like, oh, I need to get this horse. He's like, uh, no, um, you have to get. And I think like the other the, guy's no, claim got is that the, the horse is on my land, so it's my so horse. it belongs to me. Hmm. But... He says, "I took it. it's so funny." Um, <laughs> he finally gets to Jerusalem after walking and horsing around, and um, Baldwin uh, the Fort is uh, the king there, uh, and he's a leper. Yes, and he then is. he meets a character named Sibylla, mm-hmm. and um, the way he meets Sibylla is kind of weird, where he gets taken in by some crusaders um, or hospitalers, and. Uh, I think they're supposed to be his father. I thought they were supposed to be his father as men. They're, they're his father's men, yeah. So I, I assumed that um, I, I was calling them Crusaders because they're not specifically underneath um, Reynal de Chatillon. Right. Um, they're the Templars. But uh, I assume anybody who is a Westerner here is a Crusader. So that's why I was saying Crusader. So um, yeah. they're, they come to him up in the thing and he's got Liam Neeson's sword. And the guy walks up and goes... It's a nice sword. Where'd you get it? He says, I took it from... I, I tried to do uh, an Orlando Bloom. I took it from my father. Because <clears throat> he's definitely doing this kind of horse whisper thing the whole way through. Yeah, I don't Not know. Not horse whisper. That. Horse whisper. <laughs> yeah, because he gives away the horse. From, I took it from my father. <laughs> and he's like, well, your father's the same height as me and has blue eyes. And Orlando Bloom's like, he's the same height as you. But green eyes like the sea. And then that's it. That's where enough. the horse is from. Yeah, that's enough to convince this guy that he is obviously Godfrey's son and is there for the new baron. And they all kneel to him. And you're like, oh, come on. Yeah, the uh, fact that also, he knows his eye color is a really, again, like they're, the bars are all so low in this movie. It's true. Uh, 
Uh, another thing about, about this as well, and it's just something that uh, never popped into me. Do people kneel to barons, Sarah? Um, Some people would, yeah. I mean, you, you would kneel in general, potentially, to people who are higher status than you. But a full down on one knee kneel? And yeah, not I just mean, like, a... so if they're actually, it's not very clear, but, like, if they're actually giving homage to him, which at some point they should, assuming that, like, they are his father's men, then yeah. they would, yeah. Yeah. Well, in that case, I'm going to give a point back to this movie. So now it's got a point. Because mm. uh, I was in in my head, you would never kneel to a baron. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you would like you wouldn't if you were equivalent to him in status. But if they're his vassal, like if they're his vassals, though, that actually more or less makes sense as things go. Mm, good. Sweet. So how does he meet Sibylla? So Sibylla just rides into the courtyard of this house on a horse and basically says, and then like drinks some water, and then says, "I want to meet Bailey and of Ebaland. Tell him to come. Tell him to to come to me." And then rides off. And then he like shows up at her palace, and he's like, "I was Bailey the whole time." And she was like, "I know." <laughs> yeah, that, that is such a weird thing. It's like um, she rides in wildly through the streets of Jerusalem into where he is. She gets the water from him. I I'm. Is it meant to be sexual tension we're getting between I them? I think it's supposed to be. Uh, also, just by the way, she is wearing what I feel like is supposed to be sort of Arab style garb, which is a weird choice. Mm. It's just, it's, I don't, it's like half her face is covered and then yeah. she takes it down to drink. And I think maybe we're supposed to go, oh, look, she's taking it down to drink. She's showing him her beautiful face kind of thing. And I'm not going, I, Okay, um, but it turns out that she's King Baldwin the Fourth's sister, and she is married to the bad guy, or in this case, the bad gee. <laughs> oh, solid pun. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, so she is married to Guy de Lusignan, who uh, is presented as being part of the Knights Templar, which is a large issue that we will discuss in more detail later. <laughs> Um, and basically the way the things seem to be going in the kingdom is that Baldwin and his sister Sibylla and, uh, Tiberius, so that's, uh, Jeremy Irons, who is the Marshal of Jerusalem, are trying to keep peace with the Muslims, and Guy de Lusignan and his buddy Reynaud de Chatillon, um, and the Templars, of which, again, they are presented as being part of, are trying to start a war. Yeah, and that is weird. Um, this notion that they're trying to instigate a war that... See, the weird thing about this is they're trying to instigate a war that I don't think any of them as an individual thinks they can win. It None of it makes any sense. And that's because it has nothing to do with historical reality, which uh, there we will we will be getting a lot more detail about that in yeah, a so, subsequent segment but like it it makes no sense like there's it's not clear at all why they want war they're not even presented in particular as being say religious zealots or anything like that and they don't really seem to have any principles or morals like i and the fact is that they have jerusalem like they are right they have they, nowhere to go but down here yeah they ha so so to put it into context right he shows up jerusalem is being held by the crusaders right um as it has been so, since 1099. Exactly. For, what is it? What year did it say? It's 1140 1184. So, so it's yeah. about 90 years. 
it's about 90 years they've held it and they're sitting there and everything is calm or whatever and then you've got Brendan Gleeson's character so Reynolds and he is trying to instigate a war Guy is trying to instigate a war Guy wants to be king of Jerusalem I mean, fair enough, like everybody, there's loads of people who want to have the lofty ambition to be king, right? He's marrying Sibylla, who is the current king's sister. All he has to do is wait for the man with leprosy to die. Now, I can't imagine that a man with leprosy living in the Middle East in 1184 has the prospect of living for a very long time. No, probably not. Though he actually would... Well, if they were on, like, speaking terms with any Muslims, which in this movie, certainly, they don't seem to be, uh, then he would actually potentially have a better time of surviving in the Middle East than he would in Europe. But Yeah, but but again, I'm aware that they don't, they're not on speaking terms. So he should be dying pretty quickly or pretty soon. So all he has to do is wait. Um, They cut the Brendan Gleeson's character and... Sarah, have you ever seen the movie Jarhead? No. Okay, uh, so in Jarhead, it's about um, the f- second Gulf War or the first Gulf War where not really a lot of fighting happened and a lot of the soldiers got pent up and aggressive about it. And then if you ever watched the first um, Jack Reacher movie, the soldier in that uh, takes to just randomly killing civilians in the streets or you know contractors in the streets because he's been there for three years and has never fired his rifle, right? Right. I get the impression that's what Reynald de Chatillon is experiencing here is I've been in the Middle East for the last 50 years as the leader of the Templars and I've never actually got to be in a fight. So they're literally instigating against the Saracens. Right. And when it finally gets to the point where they do instigate it into war, they all shit themselves (laughs) Like, and do that's... really badly at war. Yeah, but in the scene where they they basically have caused the war to happen because they're what they've been doing is attacking wagon trains and stuff, um, and supply trains which have been going out to the Muslims, um, the when so, so there's this big get to with um, uh, Jeremy Irons character and he's like, oh, this is going to be a war, and then when it looks like it will end up being a war. Everybody, all of them look terrified. They're like, oh, shit. I never actually thought this would lead. Oh, balls. Like, mm-hmm. because there's no way they could win. Like, yeah. He could. They put it in the thing. Saladin is in this movie. Saladin conservatively could have had 300,000 men in a week. Yeah, every scene in this movie makes very clear that his that Saladin's forces vastly outnumber those of the Crusaders. Yeah, they vastly outnumber them, and they have much more experience of being at war. Right. Because the Crusaders have been sitting around not being at war for the last 50, 60 years. Right. It is it beggars belief that their their logic is just completely thrown out the window, which is let's start a fight with the biggest bully in the yard. He's completely ignoring us. He hasn't paid attention to us in a long, long time. We are sitting on the good chair, basically. Let's start a war. Like, it's stupidity itself. Nothing about any of the military endeavors in this movie make any sense whatsoever. But what does make sense is that if I went into Jerusalem and I just got off my horse 
and then gave it away to a random um, Muslim man to take away with him. The first thing I would do is turn to a person in the street and go, take me to where Christ was crucified. Yeah, we're just going to, I guess, casually ignore that this guy totally thinks the Jews killed Jesus and also hates them. <laughs> we're just going to move along. I'm sorry. Along. I'm we're sorry just going to move he... along from that. Wait, so I'm sorry. He, he, want, he thinks the Jews killed Jesus. Yes, this man clearly is, uh, believes that the Jews just all by themselves killed Jesus and hate Christians. Thinks. Uh-huh. Okay, we'll move on. Let's just ignore this. Um, hey, the the Romans, it was a kind of joint effort between the Jews and the Romans. As long as you're admitting to the joint effort, we, we, we uh, as on behalf of the uh, Catholic and in the entirety of Christianity... I accept your apology. So we I wasn't. I wasn't. I did. I was not apologizing. <laughs> Definitely sounded like an apology, Sarah. I, I, no, that was taking responsibility. It wasn't apologizing. <laughs> Fine, we won't accept your apology. There whatever. is a long medieval Jewish polemical tradition, which basically boils down to, "Yeah, we killed Jesus, so what? He deserved it." No, don't say that. We're not going to talk about this. Um, but we do have to talk about. The, the the scene, which I think is the cringiest and creepiest thing I've ever seen, where Sibylla comes over to have some food, and she, they're sitting <laughs> having dinner, and Guy gets up and leaves, and then somebody says, "It seems years since I've seen a woman eat." There's like so many group, yeah. So uh, I think Orlando oh, Bloom says that. Um, Oh, yeah, also, like, is. yeah, that's Orlando, but that's our hero saying that line. Oh, there's also, like, this, like, obnoxious thing that Guy said that whoever he's, like, when he leaves, that he's, like, my wife never seems to mind when I leave. That makes her either the best wife or the worst. Am I right, dudes? Yeah, he's, like, am I right? And, like, everyone's going, yes, yeah, she's happy because you're a dick. Go away. And also everyone's just, like, clearly, like, looking down on their napkins and being, like, I am not getting involved in this shit. It is, it's just such a bad scene. Um, but then straight away, she shows, like, so Balian finds out that he owns, like, 200 acres. Ebelin. Uh, Ebelin. Yeah. Um, which is just outside of Jerusalem, outside the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, and he goes in and he invents irrigation. Sarah, did you realize that the Christians brought irrigation to the Middle East? You know, that uh, was not a, a thing that I'd been familiar with, that uh, you needed some uh, some nice northern french christians to come and uh show the muslims how wells work the, this is the best thing about it. I, like i could i could vaguely understand how maybe the idea of an irrigation system and using planks of wood curved planks of wood to bring water from an area where there is some to where there is none i could understand how maybe that might be something that they brought with them but he literally explains to them how to dig a well like he's like dig here and the response from the people looking at him was like, what? Also, like... Yeah, yeah, dig, dig, go down, water down. It's the desert. If those people had not figured out how to dig wells until the 12th century when the French taught them to, there wouldn't be people. They'd be all dead. Yeah. See, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, he, said, he stands around, he looks around, he's like, dig, down. It's so ridiculous that... And like, it's, it's oh. so... I mean, it's so, like, Orientalist and gross that it's, like, you need this, like, white European dude to teach basic science and technology as of the time, essentially, to the Muslims. Would, would, oh, so these were, these were Muslim people. Were there any Jewish people here at the time? 
Um, so the people are all at least speaking Arabic. The Jews, Muslims, and Christians living in the area all would have spoken Arabic. I didn't look up. There might have been Jews in Ibelin. There are no Jews in Jerusalem because the Christians kicked them out. Yeah, I mean. Or killed them. They can come back and try. Of course they kill them. They just took responsibility for killing our God. And they didn't know that. They hadn't read the books. And they apologized a few minutes ago. So anyway, um, <laughs> what happens... What happens then is that uh, Guy and um, uh, Guy and God, I forgot it's Reynold. Um, they attack this caravan, leading to oh God, leading to the oh, Muslims. Oh wait, though we skipped we skipped oh. that uh, um, Balian and Sibylla do bone down. Oh my God, this is, she sh- <laughs> she shows up and she basically she stands in the doorway to him. She's basically like, I'm not here just to eat food it's like i'm here to fuck and then he's like but wouldn't that be a sin and she's like my husband is an asshole and he's like you're right he is good point let's bone down also this is a dude who murdered a priest like a month ago based on this movie it's really weird how just all of a sudden he has this like vastly different moral compass it's it's just so weird they um so then the next morning, they walk out into his courtyard and he kisses her goodbye. And is it she's wearing his ring or he's wearing her ring? Yeah, he's wearing some necklace. That was clearly her necklace, I think. Yeah. And you're like, come on. Like, you couldn't be more obvious here. Ugh, but anyway. Maybe so, this is why they sold this movie together with Tristan and Isolde. Because they're both, hey, let's watch some idiotic <laughs> couples and how they might get caught. Yeah, let's, um, let's watch some unsubtle adultery. So Saladin decides that he's going to retaliate against Reynold and Guy. So they're going to attack Kerak Castle, which is Reynold's right. castle. And Balian's village just happens to be around there. And he's like, oh, I could go inside the walls and go for a protracted siege. But I want to defend these villagers. So I'm going to take my... 30 warriors against the 10,000? That's certainly what it looks like, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, just to, just to put it, like, when I was watching this, I went, there is no way they win this. There is no, if they win this, if they even hold them for any sort of significant amount of time, it is ridiculous, and I'm going to turn the movie off. And they don't. They get completely overrun. There's a great scene, like, the battle scenes in this are actually pretty well done, where it shows them from a like a tracking shot from above and they're riding towards the um Saladin's forces uh lines and the lines just kind of swallow them <laughs> it's like right. uh like an amoeba swallowing like a, a piece of food and it just kind of absorbs into them and then they get like destroyed like obviously they, there's a couple of scenes of Balian being really good with his sword because his daddy taught him for 20 minutes um mm-hmm. sorry his rapist daddy taught him for 20 minutes yep and then we find out that the entire time that the general of this army was Alexander Siddick yeah he is like Saladin's second in command mm-hmm. but because he stops to have a little chat with um Balian now they they framed this as Balian's heroic last stand saved them and gave the people time to get there. But it's really because Alexander Siddig stopped to have a chat with him. Well, so in um, some ways it's that it's because uh I think it's presented as because like they are both so 
honorable. Honorable, yes. Um, uh, that their kind of honor and mutual respect for one another, even though they're enemy, even though they're enemies, you know, saves everything. Yeah. Um, and Alexander Siddick says, "Yeah, you didn't really do much. I'm just gonna go sack the city now." And then Billion looks up and he's like, "Oh, are you?" Um, and there you see the King of Jerusalem and the Crusaders coming riding across the plains. And it's like, yeah, but he shows up. Saladin shows up um, and he comes riding out and the king meets uh, Saladin. And I think it's a really good scene because even though the king is portraying some sort of strength, which is like, I'm going to get in a fight, he's clearly fucking shitting himself. And he's also clearly like barely able to stand because yeah. of the leprosy. <laughs> Because of leprosy, but he also, but he's he's very clearly like lots of men will die here today, even though you might take the castle, even though you might move on to take Jerusalem, loads of your men are gonna die. Do you really want to do that? And Saladin comes across really reasonable. Yeah. He's like, you know what, you're right, but we want to make sure that you punish um the guys who did this. So Which you have fair. to punish Reynold and he's technically should be punishing Guy. Um, but they're especially so, worried about Reynolds. But they're very worried about Reynolds. Uh, so he's like, yeah, I'll punish him. And he punishes him in the best way possible. Yeah. Sarah, how does he punish him? So uh, because he's a leper, he's got this whole mask going. He's got these like intense gloves. Like he's like covered head to toe, right? So mm-hmm. he takes off his glove and extends his leprous, uh, de- you know, decaying hand for uh, mm-hmm. for Reynald to kiss, and then slaps him across the face. It's a disgusting looking hand. They, and then he like props to the makeup people. Actually, they did a good job. He makes him kiss it, and um, Brendan Gleeson does a great job of like licking this hand. Yeah, and and, and then he punches I, him in the face. Yeah, and I was actually this came up recently, actually, when I was teaching uh, for some reason. Uh, we were talking about leprosy. <laughs> and uh, when we were talking about leprosy, apparently leprosy is less contagious than they thought it was in the Middle Ages. But I think literally like having somebody kiss your leprous hand might be one of the ways you actually could give somebody leprosy. It, it's pretty, it's pretty good ways. Like, hey, dipshit, kiss this. Yeah. Um, then obviously uh, Baldwin is mad at all these people. But for some reason now, he's super happy with Balian. And he's like, uh, and Billion is taken aside by Jeremy Irons and the King. And he's like, hey, you know my sister? You've totally been banging her. We all know this. So will you bang her again, but also make her an honest woman? Um, And all we'll do is like, we'll kill Guy. Right. Uh, so, and th- this is where I don't, I don't get this. It's like, so Billion, I think because... Of wearing the necklace, we're supposed to believe he's in love with Sibylla. Uh, Sibylla clearly has feelings for him. Um, Guy is the bad guy, clearly the bad guy. He's in the wrong in every, every scene he's in in this movie. And it's also very clear that if he becomes king, he is going to start a war that is going to kill thousands of people. Yeah, he's an idiot. It could be millions of people. Could literally end up with the entirety of Jerusalem getting raised to the ground. Um, And Billion's like, no, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that because it's wrong. Kingdom of conscience or nothing. Oh, jeez. It is so... Like, is it, as you said, this is a dude who murdered a priest a couple of months ago. And now he's literally going to be... Like, everything that happens after this point in the movie 
is Balian's fault. Yeah, so A, all right, like, get off your damn moral high horse, jerk, and get back on your horse from the sea. And B, given the kind of weight of things, clearly it was, like, what happened, what happens is obviously what was going to happen. Obviously he was going to start this war, and a lot of people are going to die because Gay was king. You would have been responsible for the death of one asshole, but would have saved the lives of thousands. Yeah, and he would have had a chance to then be king. I'm assuming that his dad would have been lined up to be the next king. Like, they would have found a way. Because the way everyone's acting is like Godfrey, the rapist, was a really good person. But obviously, Sibylla wasn't great in the sack. Um, I guess not. So, so Landa Bloom's like, no. Um, but I don't, it's... Yeah. Also, once again, I just want to hit home the extent to which everybody every five seconds is like, your father was such a great man. And I'm yeah. just watching this being like, that dude was a confessed rapist. Like, it is. That's so <sighs> bad. Like, I, No, wait. Did you say he was confessed rapist? Well, confessed as in he basically well, confessed Sarah, to being a rapist. No, in fairness, if he confessed... He can be absolved of those sins. <laughs> well, he didn't confess uh, to a priest. He just confessed to Balian. That's not helpful. Balian's just well, a dude who killed a priest that doesn't, like, give you their powers. But but Wesley Snipes was there. So. <laughs> um, but no, I at mean, this he probably point... did last rites and all of that. He probably confessed. He probably is in purgatory, according to medieval <laughs> Catholic doctrine. Yeah, stupid medieval Catholics. Um, but the king dies, uh, as not unexpected. Yeah. Um, he dies. And because uh, Balian wouldn't, uh, you know, give up his righteousness for mm -hmm. this, um, Guy gets crowned as king because women yes. can't be the, qu well, can't so be Sibylla, queen of Jerusalem. Yeah, well, so Sibylla kind of gets crowned and then she crowns Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which means that he becomes a war leader and he goes and releases, uh, releases Reynold. And then it's like... Uh, Time for war. Give me a war. Give me a war. And then, guess what they do to start a war? They find another uh, woman to murder woman and probably to rape. Give her an, to give her a name, and by name I mean tell her, tell us that she's Saladin's sister. Yeah, which is not a name. Which is not a name. It's like, oh, she's going to she's gonna have a name. And it's like, no, I'm Saladin's sister. And then uh, Reynold murders her, and it's heavily implied does more than that yeah because there's um, this whole thing that like she is like she's veiled as uh, muslim women traveling would have typically been and he like rips off her veil to expose her face and so i feel like that is actually supposed to imply that he raped her before he murdered her yeah i think that's exactly what they're going for then saladin sends an emissary to um Guy and real saying we want the heads of those responsible and we want our King, or so we want the, her body back, and Guy kills him, cuts out her heads, and sends them to, to Saladin. Like, so just to put, I no, there's no way not to say this. Like, I, I think it's it bears repeating. The Christians are instigating this war. Yes. Um, a war that they have zero chance of winning. It makes no sense. Um, and they know they have zero chance of winning. Uh, it is just nonsense. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Just completely ridiculous. 
And he sends three assassins to kill Billion, who is unarmed when they show up at his little farm beside his well. But somehow he manages to defeat all three of the um, assassins that were sent to him. And then rides back in, despite the fact the king just tried to have a kill. The king could just have him arrested at any time. You're a king. Right. Dude. But he rides back in, and the king's like all shocked to see him. And he goes, listen, don't go to war with them. There are a million of them. You will die. Yep. So uh, anyway, he it's a that's it's that a it's that there's a million of them, and b he's like, I know it's a great idea. I'm gonna lead my army through this route where there's no water. Yeah, this is and Guy. then yeah, he's like, uh, I'm gonna do this. It's mentioned earlier uh, by Alexander Siddig. Um, you need to choose your battlefield, and then Jeremy Iron says you need to choose your battlefield, and everyone says you need to choose your battlefield. Um, and Saladin is like, yeah, I'm choosing my battlefield. This is exactly what I'm gonna do. Um, also, I do think it's funny that Saladin didn't even really want to start the war, but he's got his own religious zealots saying, you got to go start the war. Right. So basically, he has religious zealots pushing him, and the Christians have, as I said, they don't really seem very religious. They just seem like vaguely bloodthirsty. Yeah, that it's just, it's so... Oh, that's my sigh for... Bad characterization that makes no sense. It's awful. Um, yeah, so they all die. Just all of the army, basically. Yeah, they. so we, we see them riding off. Uh, Billion's like, at least go near water, as Sarah said. Uh, and he's like, no, <laughs> we're going to take the most direct route. Which means that they walk through the desert without water for like 10 hours before trying to meet an army who'd just been rested and relaxing. And they get their asses handed themselves. We don't even see the battle in this one. It just cuts to almost all of the Crusaders dead on the ground. Like, I mean, thousands of them just dead. And we have Guy and Reynold get brought to Saladin. And Saladin's like, which of you people killed my wife? He offers, did he offer them water? Yeah, he offers them some ice, an ice drink. Yeah. And uh, Guy won't take it, but Reynold does. And then uh, Saladin's like, you uncouth motherfucker. You're the one who killed my sister. And then has him killed. Did Guy hand it to Reynold or no? Reynold, Reynold took it off him. Yeah, okay. So that's actually a thing that is at least like, legendarily true is that uh, mm. he ultimately took the water not directly from uh, Saladin but from Guy and so from because Guy, of yeah. that he is in a very technical sense not bound by the laws of hospitality and it's cool to kill him yeah but I think that's what happens he hands yeah. it to Guy and then Guy hands it to um, hands it to to Reynold uh, Reynold or Reynold. Reynold grabs it off him yeah and that's why um, Saladin says uh, yeah, I didn't give you the water. Yeah. So then he kills him. Yeah. Which is a very good because he is a horrible, horrible man. Yeah. He deserves everything that happens to him. Yep. Um. Then, uh, he tells Guy, "Yeah, I'm about to go. I'm gonna take over Jerusalem. You're all buggered now." Um. Yep. Except Tiberius has left. Uh, and heads towards Cyprus, which I think is funny. Yeah. Yeah, Ram's just like, He's like I'm, I'm, bailing, I'm just, just going to GTFO. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh. I'll chat to you later on. Good luck. Yeah. Billion, you're now in charge of this. <laughs> One third of a city 
because half of the army's dead. I'm taking my, or sorry, one third of the army's dead. I'm taking my third of the army with me and going to Cyprus. And that leaves you with yeah. a few of your buddies to hang around. And then Balian somehow manages to lead them. I was going to say to victory. Eh, they don't win. No, but to <laughs> not immediately dying. Um, also, Lupin's dead, by the way. Rest in peace. Lupin. Yes, right. He dies. And we get like a sad scene where it's just going to, the, the, the thing kind of pans across and then we see his body it like yeah like, lingers oh. it lingers on his face among the pile of dead people mm. it's i don't know but um again we have billion master tactician tactician managing to hold back this giant army for three days yeah so yeah he manages to hold off this army he knights the entire city of jerusalem mm-hmm. basically they're all knights they're all knights because- now but he knights them because that means that Saladin won't be allowed to kill them after the surrender. I think that's, is that why he does it? Oh, did it say that? I thought it was just that he was like, I thought it was like a morale thing in terms of how it was I, presented. I think, yeah, it's presented as a morale thing, but I think that might be why he did it. I mean, to the extent that he did it, the morale is actually, I think, like relatively close. And also it's like nowhere near as many people. Yeah, I mean, because like you don't just knight the entire city of Jerusalem uh, with no attention to class and religious difference. Balian does. In this movie, yes. Yeah, no, Balian does. Because he's a ridiculous like blacksmith that somebody picked up off that like his rapist dad picked up off the streets. He's an awesome character who only does awesome things like knighting an entire uh, city uh, like, or all nights now excuse me but an entire city of men because even though we do not have class difference or religious difference women still have no rights yeah of course Just, i didn't even think there were women in the city there's one sibylla sibylla yeah she cuts off her hair for no apparent reason and I don't get this. goes to like is... heal people i don't even like the, it shows this the whole hair cutting thing like what yeah, because I watched that what? and I'm like, oh, is she going to like pretend she's a man and like fight? That's what I thought. She's going to do like a Maid Marian and just show up on the battlefield. But no, no, she's cutting her off her hair so that she can heal people better. Yeah, and like she's not disguised as a man. Like she's still wearing like women's clothing. And so I don't understand why she, like she couldn't have like put it in a ponytail. It is. It's incredibly like, weird. They, to me. they know um, how to tie your hair back in the Middle Ages. Yeah, but Balian is the victor in this thing, despite the fact that he has to <laughs> give up the city of Jerusalem, which is pretty much his job to hold. But he gives up the city of Jerusalem and uh, he manages to allow the Christians, i.e. the people in the city of Jerusalem, to escape to safety. Um, right. And then we cut to outside the city and they left the city. Balian finds Sibylla and he's like, I will only bang you um, I'm using the phrase Sarah has written here. If you renounce your various royal titles, which again, what? Yeah, because she's just like, well, I guess I'm still the queen of like Antioch and Tripoli or whatever else she says, which yeah. I don't think also, is actually true, but whatever. Um, Tripoli is a beautiful place. Yeah, go to Tripoli. Go to Accra. Go to Antioch. Yeah. There are so many nice places they could have gone to. And nope, he's like, well, I'm going to go back to be freezing cold and miserable in France and be a blacksmith. And if you renounce all your royal titles and come with me, then we can continue to bone down. Yeah, we'll do that. And you can all come to this. Uh, you can come with me. Also, grow your hair back. Yeah. Weird, short-haired now. Um, 
What are you going to do? Try and heal people? <laughs> so then she does. She goes with him to this to be like a blacksmith's wife in some village in northern France. And like, okay, so first of all, how does he get out of the fact that he totally murdered a priest because he's completely like pretending he's not a crusader lord? So how does he get out of that? A. B. Really? This woman mm. is like mega rich. Yeah, dude, go go Like there. get some She's, money. Get all that money. You're a queen. You can have all that cash. Even if you show up, get all the cash and leave. Yeah, just like get some nice gold stuff and bring it back. I, uh, it's he's such a stupid character. It's like so all of ridiculous. those people, all of those people who died are his fault because he wouldn't marry her when they had Guy. Like execute Guy, marry Sibylla. He deserves execution. He's literally been going around killing caravans of people. Yeah. No, he's like, clearly like in this movie. He is clearly just a terrible person who just murders people for fun. Yeah, he's the bad Guy. Um, uh, so we get to Balian and herself apparently living a happy lovely life and then Richard the Lionheart shows up and he's like hey Balian I know you're the best everyone tells me you're the best and you totally saved Jerusalem that time that you let Jerusalem get captured by the Saracens good job yep. dude so um, uh, yeah so then uh, Balian as basically a way of telling him to fuck off Gives him the same shitty directions to Jerusalem that his father gave him. I don't know. Is this meant to be like a triumphant moment? He's like, go to where the men speak Italian. Then keep going till they speak something else. Also. It's like, what? And like, Richard Lionheart should be like. Yeah. Also, I'd like to add, there's like several places where they speak several different something else's. No, in this movie, Sarah. You're speaking Italian, then you go towards Jerusalem, and as soon as you get to the point where they speak Muslimish, which is the name of the language that I imagine this movie thinks they speak, that's where that's where Jerusalem is. Good God. Yeah. Also, do they have to go south at any point? Like, if you're just going to go east from Italy, you're not going to hit Jerusalem. Yeah, no, you should... I mean, but also, like, you're kind of just going across the Mediterranean. Also, like, nobody... Like, most of the time, they didn't just, like, go straight across the Mediterranean anyway from Italy to Jerusalem. Like, you would take stops. So, like... Of course they didn't go straight, Sarah. You'd have to go to Greece. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, they, they would all... straight. Like. Exactly. Like, they would all go to the Byzantine Empire, and, you know, 20 years after this, when they went to the Byzantine Empire, they were like, fuck, let's just conquer Constantinople. <laughs> let's do it. And then we'd call it Istanbul. So everyone's going to be happy. That was later. Um, oh, A God, little later. So... 300 years later. Happened exactly at the same time. <laughs> um, so Balian gives in those directions. And rather than having Richard Lionheart jump off his horse and cut his head from his shoulders, which is what I would do if I was basically the leader of the entire free world at that point. I'm, I'm, I'm using the parlance that, again, I think this movie thinks is free world versus Muslims. Um, right, which so, is a thing that this movie is yeah, doing. Pretty much what it's doing. I would imagine that he would have just killed Billy and dead. Um, the Richard no, the Lionheart of Robin Hood definitely could have killed Billy and 100% dead. One hundred percent, he yeah. would. We were like, oh, fuck this guy's shit up, right? Yeah. Um, but he gets off. Uh, or sorry, uh, Richard Lionheart uh, is gone then, and then we get like an epilogue 
Oh, we do also see Sibylla and Balian just riding off into the distance past the grave of Balian's dead first wife, which is a shot that we needed in this movie. I don't know why we need it. It's like, oh, this is where I I buried my first wife. Now I got my new hot second wife. Um, I bet she won't kill herself. Oh, God. Maybe she maybe she will actually be able to have a child. Ugh, like, it's so dying. gross. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, and she so, has um, a name, so she's already, like, way ahead of wife number one. Yeah. Well, at least, at least this, pass, this passes the uh, If Decker test, so that's the important thing about this. It it does pass the If Decker test because, because uh, Sybilla the is only a named, named woman, woman yes. in the movie survives. Yes. Um, the one. But, it's, but it pops up again nearly a thousand years later. Peace in the Holy Land remains elusive. Topical! But, again, <laughs> for very different reasons. Yes! Vastly different reasons. Like, the implication that nothing has changed in the entire structure of political relations in uh, the Middle East is exactly the same as it was in the 12th century is yeah, just so way, bizarre. The way that pops up, it's like, oh yeah, there are still Muslims trying to invade and take over Jerusalem at all times. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> that's that's the end of that movie, Sarah. Um, Thank God. So Sarah, <laughs> Thank I'm God is over. To, I'm going to sit back and watch as you get angrier and angrier and angrier <laughs> as you do this. So, um, where it falls so where we're going to look at what they get true, which is very, and what they get false, which is everything. <laughs> um, Sarah, what do they get right in this movie? And by I, I look, I want to just say this: I'm looking at this particular thing, <laughs> right? Sarah has basically said the names of some people. It it comes yes. out it's like half a page of notes, but the half a page of notes might as well just say the names of some people. Yes. So basically. Most of the major characters in this movie are, in fact, real people. And the movie contains, like, one or two real facts about them. So, Balian of Ibelin was a real person who led the defense of Jerusalem in 1187. Uh, Saladin, acting uh, on behalf of the Abbasid Caliphate, uh, which is not mentioned in this movie, but uh, he did indeed conquer Jerusalem in 1187. Mm. Uh, Baldwin IV is a real king who did, in fact, suffer from leprosy and uh, died in 1185, leaving the kingdom to his sister Sibylla, also a real person. And uh, because the assumption is that it's then if you're a queen that your husband, the king consort, is still, you know, a pretty big deal. Uh, In fact, her husband, Guy de Lusignan, uh, also became king. Um. And Reynald de Chatillon is also a real person uh, who really did seem to have decided decided kind of for fun to engage in some skirmishes with Muslim forces and attack some caravans. It seems like it's a combination of actually kind of starting war and attempting an offensive policy and kind of retaliating because there were some sieges on his castle at Karak. And in part, it was basically just kind of glorified piracy. Uh, yeah. So he basically just like, uh, knocked over car- like you know, kind of struck caravans and killed a bunch of people, and then like took the nice stuff in the caravans. Um, and Saladin indeed did capture and execute him after uh, the Battle of Hatin, the battle that we kind of briefly have. Um, uh, and uh, he was, in fact, interestingly. So he was known for not only having been this kind of very aggressive person in terms of his warfare and basically piracy, uh, but also having very openly engaged in uh, what would be considered blasphemy against Islam. 
Mm-hmm. So as we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, Islam actually really did not push forced conversion and actually did so far less than Christians did in the Middle Ages. Uh, but he in particular, because of his blasphemy, was told that he had the opportunity to escape the execution that he so richly deserved if he converted to Islam, to which he said no. Yeah. Um, but, uh, otherwise the kind of way in which he got killed, um, with the, like the, the whole thing with like the glass, with like the glass that at least according to Chronicles is, uh, basically how it went down. Oh, so it was handed to Guy and then Guy handed it to, um, Reynold and then that means that he wasn't under the, uh, under the hospitality rule, we'll say. Uh, right. So that means he gets to be killed, which is good. Yeah. And then Guy is basically like. Uh, so what's going to happen to me now? And then Saladin in real life was like, oh, no, it's like you're a king. Like, I'm not going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, that's, I mean, that's a huge chunk of stuff that they got right. I mean, I'm impressed by this. Maybe. Yeah, there's like a bare outline of reality. What did they get wrong? Okay, so I'm going to start with the little stuff and then get bigger. So uh, the main thing I remembered about this movie, from having seen it as like a baby medievalist my freshman year in college... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is I just if can't. Wait, just a, a baby medievalist. Does that mean you, you're only allowed to cover stuff as far back as like 1400s? No, I just like knew less stuff. Oh. And I like didn't quite realize that there were like people who weren't the nobility that were interesting. <laughs> you mean the serfs and the commoners? <laughs> They're not interesting, Sarah. I mean, I didn't realize that like you could like do stuff that you could like learn stuff about them which now is like my main job and all of my research yeah. of course you can learn stuff about yeah, them but i don't They're think not I... important <laughs> i mean i don't think i realized like the extent to which like social history was a thing that you could actually like think like learn things about these real people who were not like members of the nobility basically oh yeah cool um so i guess that's what i mean by being a baby medievalist but one yeah. of the things that i knew even as a baby medievalist is that the Templars have... Wait, and you say baby medievalist. Does this mean you you only focus on babies from the medieval period? Yep, I was a historian of babies. <laughs> historian of babies. <laughs> In the Middle Ages. It's the babies. There's actually a great um, book about childhood in the Middle Ages, which is really kind of weird and eerie. So the point of it is basically that like medieval people actually cared about their children, which is arguing against a whole discourse that they didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of it is about like childhood and kind of what kids did with their days. But a lot of the sources that she has are coroner's records. So it's all of these things (laughs) like, we know children used to play near the salt pans. We know this because the coroner's records tell us about a two-year-old who was playing near the salt pans and fell in and died. (laughs) Oh my God. This is eerily like the plot of Jurassic Park 3, where... There's lots of debate as to whether or not dinosaurs would look after their young. And some people said that they would, but then they realized that they did because they found younglings and adults in the same grave. And they're like, oh, but maybe they did. And then in the movie, they communicate using some sort of, oh, my God. Yeah, I forgot about this. I'm just fascinated by the idea that, like, the movie was, like, centered around, like, disproving the theories of the, like, paleontologist version of Philippe Arias. Uh... Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, (laughs) these medieval people looked after their kids, like dinosaurs did. (laughs) Just like dinosaurs. Medieval people and dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. So much in common. uh, 
Sarah, tell me about these perfectly accurate crosses. So, uh, the Knights Templar, a real military crusading order, mm-hmm. they have equal armed crosses. So, like, basically it looks like a plus sign or, you know, the flag of Switzerland. Yeah. The Templars in oh, this... Wait, wait, wait. Like a badass version of this flag of Switzerland. Yeah, it's got, like, little, like, flourishes at the edges. Like, you know, it's, it's nice. It's a good cross. Mm. In this movie, they have the kind of more standard looking crosses that are like basically like a, you know, fancy T. This really, really bothers me. (laughs) Cause it's like such a tiny detail. You couldn't have just gotten it right. Did you have a train going past your house? Yes. There is a non-commuter train that goes past my uh, relatively nearby house on occasion, like a freight train. Oh, have you ever, have you ever been tempted to ride the rails? I have not. So cool. But I have been stuck behind the train while driving before. Is it a big long train? Yes. All right. Yeah. One last question. That's a total <laughs> non sequitur. This. What's the best thing about Switzerland? Uh, I don't know. I've never been to Switzerland, uh, so I think the main thing I know about Switzerland is that they were like basically pretending to be neutral, but kind of in league with the Nazis, which is not the best thing. So. Yeah. That's not uh, I the guess. Best I guess thing. the chocolate. Wow, just shit all over my joke. I, oh, I was I'm expecting sorry. to say, I don't know. And then I was going to go, well, their flag is a huge plus. Oh, I'm so. Do you want to start over? No, no. Uh, <laughs> tell us what else is wrong. <laughs> and also, their flag is a huge plus is a solid joke. That is a solid joke. I'm sorry I ruined it by talking about the Nazis. <laughs> no, it's the Nazis. <laughs> this is, I'm not cutting this out, by the way. I want people to see what I have to work with on this podcast. <laughs> it's somebody who's really smart who kills all my jokes. <laughs> well, I apologize for ruining the joke by insulting the Swiss people. <laughs> pretending to be fucking neutral. Um, so yeah, so they get the Templar crosses wrong. Also, ironically, the men of Ebelin have Templar-style crosses, which is so ridiculous. Hmm. Um, so that really irritates me. Um, also in case, uh, there was not enough last week of me complaining about architecture, because I think there was a decent amount of me complaining about architecture last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of buildings that it's like are very clearly being presented as Islamic style buildings. I assume to kind of make the point that that's basically what they are kind of governing out of, that they kind of kept the buildings that were part of the Muslim city of Jerusalem until the late 11th century. All of these buildings are clearly not things that were built in late 11th century Jerusalem. They have this very specific kind of elaborate stucco work, um, like these very kind of intricate uh, but aniconic patterns, which is very characteristic of Islamic art, but really not until the 13th century. And I actually felt super vindicated because I in particular was thinking it's something that would have been especially common in uh, what is now Spain and Morocco. And that's actually where the filming for this movie was done. Oh, very yeah. good. Yeah. So that's I mean, totally what it I don't was. Know whether, I don't know whether it's impressive or nerdy that you can recognize. In fact, they're not mutually exclusive. It's impressively nerdy that you can recognize that these buildings were actually in Spain. Yeah, so it's totally like what you would have seen in like the Nazrid kingdom of Granada or uh, the Marinid Sultanate of uh, Morocco at the time. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
Um, and so it's like not what you would have seen in, you know, the Crusader kingdom that still existed in Jerusalem in the late 12th century. Also, for the record, the Maronite Sultanate of, where, where did you say? Uh, Morocco. Of Morocco. Sounds like something that Portos would make up in, <laughs> <laughs> in the Three Musketeers. It kind of does, but it's real. <laughs> I promise. Definitely, I've met the Queen of America, you know. Um, the tiles are also wrong in a bunch of these buildings. Uh, the tiles look like a style that became popular in uh, fifteenth in the fifteenth century, and that were uh, produced especially in fifteenth uh, century Turkey, in fifteenth and sixteenth century Turkey, and then got kind of exported to other parts of the Islamic world as well. You know, I did spot that one myself. Yeah. See. Good, good job with the tiles. <laughs> hey, 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 listeners, I definitely did. <laughs> but yeah, so they uh, they definitely screw up the uh, the art and architecture because they are trying to kind of make it look vaguely Muslim, but apparently don't realize that Muslim art like changed over the period of several centuries. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they also. Well, just deeply have no idea whatsoever about how relationships between religious groups work. Um, yeah, this is weird. Like, their concept of how these people are interacting with each other is like a seven-year-old's concept of, those people are different to me, therefore they must want to fight me. Like, what? And it's like, even to the extent... That there, I mean, you know, there is religious war, there is religiously motivated warfare, like that is what a crusade is, that is what the concept of jihad is. I mean, there is like mm -hmm. that is what we have in this period, but the assumption is basically, therefore, that any war then, well, so on the Muslim side, the assumption is basically then, okay, they're going to automatically murder all Christians or forcibly convert them to Islam. Even the crusaders knew that was not true. Uh, there is, I believe in the Middle Ages, I think there is actually only one Muslim conquest that involved a mass forced conversion of, uh, of people who were in the category of Dhimmi, so people who were either Jews or Christians. Um, mm -hmm. And that was the Almohads in uh, the Iberian Peninsula in uh, the 12th century. Yeah, so it's not even in the right place in the world. Right, like... And Saladin in particular was known for having given like pretty generous terms and very much incorporated any Jews or Christians who are found in the area under Dimi policy, with the possible exception of somewhat harsher terms for people who were specifically identified as a quote Frankish because they were assumed to basically all be French foreign Christians. So basically the people who were crusaders who had come in to fight them. Yeah. Um, but they and, understood that those were a different group of people from the local Christians who had been living in the area for, you know, centuries. I mean, who had basically always lived there. Hmm. The um, So during the crusade, so not Richard Lionheart's crusade, because there would have been a lot of English in that, obviously. During the first crusade or the second crusade, would most of the um, crusaders have been French? A lot of them, but not all of them. There still probably would have been some English people here and there, and uh, there would have been some Germans. Um, essentially, I guess what the uh, what the kind of deal is, is that um, basically in the context of warfare, neither the Muslims or the Christians made a particularly powerful effort to deeply understand one another or the distinctions within the, uh, the other's group. 
And so just as, uh, you know, if you look at a lot of the sources from Spain, for example, you know, it's very clear that the um, Muslims who are, you know, who they're fighting against in what the Spanish call the Reconquista, that, you know, some of them are kind of primarily of Arab descent, some of them are primarily of North African descent, some of them are really people who clearly are like blonde people who are descended from, you know, Visigothic converts to Islam. Mm -hmm. And they don't really dwell on those differences for the most part. And in the same way, you very much see that the Muslims who are fighting against, uh, you know, the Crusaders uh, aren't really interested in the fact that the Crusaders are themselves not really a kind of unified group. They kind of have some sense of the, uh, so, you know, when the kind of Greek Byzantine people come in, they have some sense of those being a different group because they're kind of aware of them and they have their own relationships with them. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the kind of Northern European Crusaders uh, as well, you know, I mean, some of them are Italian. Uh, not many of them are Spanish because the Spanish are doing their own thing and, you know, calling it a crusade. Um, uh, but, you know, like it's a pretty diverse group, you know, in terms of people from Western Europe, basically. Um, uh, but they're just not that interested in distinguishing between them. Yeah. So they're all Frenchies. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Good. Um, uh, so, yeah, so they don't know how that worked. Uh, there's also all sorts of things going on and that the Christians then are presented in this movie as this kind of undifferentiated group. Whereas, in fact, uh, when the Catholic Western Christians come in, they're suddenly dealing with the fact that they're now ruling all of these Eastern Christians, many of whom belong to religious groups that they would have identified as heretical. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we obviously don't get that in this movie. Uh, and of course, we do not get in this movie any acknowledgement of the Jews, who, by the way, were thrilled when Saladin took over because he told all the Jews who the Crusaders had kicked out that they could move back. Yeah, but the Crusaders kicked them out because they killed Jesus. Like a thousand years ago. Is it like yeah. they didn't kill Jesus personally? It's still fresh in, I was going to say our memory, in... in <clears throat> In the collective memory. Not my collective memory. Yeah, you never, you probably remember <laughs> stabbing him with a spear. Anyway, go on ahead, Sarah. I'm going to grab a Eucharist and stab it. <laughs> no, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> that was, uh, for, for the listeners, that was a uh, real thing that Jews were accused of doing in the Middle Ages. Not uh, that they like did, the but that they were accused of doing. The first time Sarah told me about how her and her friends got around and just stabbed a Eucharist, <laughs> I was like, going, what are you talking about? <laughs> but apparently, this is a thing that actual Catholics taught was Jewish people were doing oh that's yeah. the body of Christ let's stab it again we had so much fun doing it and, the last time and also as Jews we definitely believe it's the body of Christ is the other like weird thing presumed in that that like oh yes as Jews we clearly believe in transubstantiation yeah it's the best <laughs> I mean hey I think transubstantiation is like fascinating but oh the whole idea of it yeah. is fascinating the whole th anything where you can turn something into the body of Christ or you can drink his blood. Like even, oh my God, when you think about it, it's so weird what we do at mass. Sorry, what we do at mass, what they do at mass. It is so, yeah. Um, Angela Fellinia, when she ate the Eucharist, said she thought it tasted like the most delicious meat, which is kind of gross. Yeah, and she that's a woman who'd eaten quite a bit of meat. Anyway, let's move on. Um, Sarah, we should move on to our next section because you what you've written here is... Um, falso. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and read this as Sarah. You know, while I was killing Jesus, no, you know, 
it's kind of like they randomly selected the names of some real people and then changed literally everything about them. <laughs> which is leading into Historia Ed Veritas. And Sarah's going to tell us about the fall of Jerusalem and the people involved. Yeah, so, um, you know, this is definitely going to be something of an oversimplification, but it's going to be way less wrong than uh, the movie. <laughs> Very few things are less wrong than the movie. <laughs> And I correct teenagers' math for a living, so Ooh. I've seen a lot of wrong. Yeah, so this movie is basically like the teen math version of the Crusades. Um, so first of all, Bailey and Abibalan was not a blacksmith. He was just like a regular noble dude. He was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he was a younger son, but, you know, I think his brothers died or something or, you know, found something else to do. Uh, and, you know, he ended up inheriting, you know, inheriting Ebelin from his father. Uh, his father, by the way, was actually named Barisan. And I think the change is to kind of basically remind people of more famous crusaders named Godfrey. So like Godfrey of Bouillon, who was very, who was like one of the main people involved in the first crusade. So that's my guess as to why they changed his name to Godfrey for no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, and also yeah. because Barisan sounds too much like Balian. It does. But it does and, sound a little bit like Barristan Selmy. Ooh, it does. And actually, if I'm remembering correctly, I didn't write this part down. I think Balian's name actually was Barrison, and then he, like, oh. changed slash shorted. Like, Balian was, like, a nickname or something? I don't know. As I said, I didn't write all those details down, but uh, I think there are kind of some sources that go back and forth between calling him Barrison and Balian. Yeah. No, yeah. listeners, I am aware of how Sarah's mind works, which means that she's going to contact me in the next week and go, can you edit in <laughs> this bit where I I do actually know Balian's nickname? <laughs> no, it's it's fine. It's it's okay that I don't remember whether his actual name is Balian is Balian or Barisan, but uh it's it's fine. Um what I can say with complete confidence, however, is that there is zero reason to think that he had any romantic relationship whatsoever with uh Sibylla, who became Queen of Jerusalem. And to the best of our knowledge, he was perfectly happily married to his wife, somebody who could have been in this movie as a second woman, but was not. Uh and she is actually a pretty big deal. Her name is Maria Comnena, and she was the wife of a previous king of Jerusalem, Amalric the First. Which actually means that she is Baldwin and Sibylla's stepmother. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's all getting, it's, it's like already getting like very convoluted. Um, mm. And she was the great granddaughter of a Byzantine emperor. So she was like a big deal. Um, and they had like four children. And as I said, as far as I know, we're perfectly, as far as we know, seem to have been like perfectly happily married. Wait, so Balian, so Maria was married before she married Balian. Yes. So And she married Baldwin's dad. Yes. So Amalric the first had a first wife whose name I did not write down and don't remember. They had Baldwin and Sibylla. Then she died. Then he married Maria Comnena, uh, who had oh. another child, uh, Isabella, who's going to come up again later in this convoluted narrative. And uh then he died and then she married Balian. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Isabella, the only name for people. <laughs> the, the only name of that <laughs> women, women have. <laughs> women have in the in the medieval period. I mean, they, they really don't have a lot of names. Um, I am currently about to give a talk where I realize that I have like eight people with the same name. 
Oh, sweet. Yeah. They're all Sibyllas. <laughs> there actually were Sibyllas in medieval Catalonia. I have some Sibyllas in my document, but not in this oh. paper. That's awesome. Yeah, but in my documents, I have a lot of Sibyllas. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, so, um, the whole dynamic of essentially certain factions being kind of anti-war and certain factions being pro-war and that being a kind of ideological stance is deeply inaccurate. And instead, it seems to have been a kind of of the moment calculation in terms of, you know, what the kind of levels of strength are and, you know, what they think is best. Um, so the dying Baldwin IV did obtain a truce with Saladin, but that's really because he just realized that he was not in a strong position and also dying of leprosy. Uh, <laughs> and in fact, earlier in his reign, he had uh, basically refused to honor a truce that his regent had made when he was still um, a legal minor. Uh, his regent, by the way, was uh, Raymond of Tripoli, who is the person that Tiberius seems to be supposed to be. And I don't know why they changed his name and why they couldn't have just called him Raymond. Yeah. And he's also from Tripoli, where yes. uh, we know Sibylla is the queen of. Yeah, I don't think she actually is. <laughs> I think I, I think they like... I, d- I doubt she was, yeah. Like, I did not look up and do not have in front of me the entire very kind of complicated genealogy and intermarriage situation of the kings and queens of the various crusader kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think Raymond actually might be like, I think he is actually like the king of Tripoli. Like, yeah. I think that's just like what what he does. I think, it, or maybe he's a count of Tripoli. Eh, whatever. Um, anyway, but like, she, I don't think she's not the queen of Tripoli in particular. She's just, just the queen of Jerusalem. And maybe like one other thing. Yeah, just the Queen of Jerusalem. Yeah. Come on, Sarah. That's a pretty important position. Yeah. <sighs> God, just you're just hating on other women again. I mean, it's not like being the Queen of France, but no, I'm not hating on her. And as we'll move forward, she actually had way more agency in real life than she did in this movie. Yeah, I, I was reading yeah. your notes for this. It was like badass. Yeah. Um, so, uh, she really was in fact married to Guy de Lusignan. They got married in 1180. A uh, weird fun fact, according to a probably fictional account from the 13th century, but still, she was in love with Balian's brother, Baldwin, because hmm. um, he's also named Baldwin, and then under pressure from her family, married Guy instead. However, they then all decided they hated Guy, and just like basically the entire nobility of the Kingdom of Jerusalem also hated Guy. Sibylla, however, apparently did not hate Guy and, in fact, was, like, super on board with Guy. Mm. Uh, To the extent that, so, you know, they are married. Baldwin dies in 1184, or, no, sorry, so, yeah, Baldwin dies in 1184, and then um, uh, Sibylla's son by a previous marriage, who is Baldwin V, is king, and then he dies in 1186, And Mm -hmm. at that point, Sibylla is, you know, considered to become queen. But basically, she's told, we're only going to crown you as queen on the assumption that the second you do, you're going to divorce Guy and, like, pick somebody better. Mm -hmm. Because they all hate him. Uh, She does not. She basically says, yeah, I'm totally going to do that. And then the second she gets crowned queen, she's like, surprise, this is who I'm crowning as king. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... That scene from the movie is completely different than it was in real life. Yeah, I mean, so it's that that scene from the movie, if divorced from all context, 
might have been accurate in the fact that, okay, they crown her and then she crowns him. Mm. That's how it worked. But, but the whole Valen, the movie, yeah. Yeah. In the movie, it's against her will. Yes. In real life, it was her choice. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, her choice yeah. and her actual, like, you know, act of, like, going against most of the nobility of Jerusalem. And it very much seems like it's her choice because if she really had wanted to divorce Guy, she had a lot of support to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is really no reason to think they didn't get along perfectly well and that she basically, you know, at least liked and respected him, which for a medieval arranged marriage is like, you know, pretty good. Yeah, that's that's what you're looking for. And at least she understood the concept of an arranged marriage. Yeah. Um, let's see. The uh, the Templars, by the way, are a kind of relatively, you know, neutral party in all of these kind of uh, issues between the various people kind of vying for the throne of Jerusalem. Uh, they are also not especially evil. I mean, they're uh, they're very much kind of invested to some extent in like there being crusades and a crusader kingdom because that's pretty much their job. Hmm. Um, but they are not especially kind of war hungry or anything like that and don't seem to have been any more, you know, anti-Muslim uh, than the average crusader. Uh, also, Guy de Lusignan and Reynald de Chatillon, who in this movie are presented as being Templars, are not Templars. Because obviously they're not, because especially Guy, it makes no sense because the Templars are a religious order and he is very married. (laughs) That's like the point of his character. Um, So yeah, so they are not Templars. The Templars do exist, but have nothing in common with the Templars in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Balian as well is also not somebody who's like anti-war on principle, but, you know, he is a pretty pragmatic dude and basically realizes that if they have a war, they're probably going to lose. Yeah, because there's a million of the other guys. Right, exactly. Uh, And the other thing to keep in mind is that Saladin is not just, you know, taking over Jerusalem basically because somebody's forcing his hand. That's like his job. Yeah. He is a general who is, uh, you know, and also is the, kind of becomes a sultan of places that he takes over. But he is ultimately a general acting formally, at least under the orders of the Abbasid Caliph uh, in Baghdad. And mm-hmm. his job is to take back the land that the Crusaders conquered 100 years ago. Like, yeah, that's why so he's like, there. This is what you're here for. You have to take it back. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like, come on, movie. Yeah, like, that's what he's for. Um, so the whole, like, him, you know, so, like, like, he was supposed to basically be, like, a good dude. Like, he was supposed to have been somebody who was, like, you know, that, like, his enemies respected him and vice versa, you know? So, like, that is coming from somewhere. Like, he was very much somebody who had a kind of sense of there being a kind of code of honor on the battlefield and things like that. But, like, you know, it's a war, and he wants to conquer the territory that he's supposed to conquer. Um, yeah, so... That is very silly. Uh, also, uh, so Balian did in fact create new knights, but he only created like 60 new knights as opposed to everyone living in the city of Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, and they seem to have been from basically the kind of city's urban elite. And it seems to have been, I think, basically a kind of like morale thing that essentially like these people will kind of fight harder for us if they're knights. Yeah. Like, hey, guys, you're not just regular soldiers anymore. You're knights. Right. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that his whole kind of rousing speech that, like, the Muslims are going to wipe all of you out and kill all of you 
that is once again, not something that they would have expected. Um, the particular people who are Frankish crusaders might've expected that they were not necessarily going to be especially well-treated unless they specifically obtained terms. Um, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the people who are still living in the kingdom of, in the kingdom of, in the city of Jerusalem, some of them are actually still Muslim and, you know, they obviously have no reason to mind if Saladin takes over and, uh, you know, they're probably going to be basically fine. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, obviously it's a war. Some civilians are going to get killed, but you know, Saladin is not in the habit of like wiping out entire cities particularly. Yeah. So he wouldn't wipe out a city, but he would demand them to convert, yeah? He would not, and never what? did. He never did, and all of his long history leading up to 1187 of conquering things, he never demanded forced conversion. This movie has lied to me. Yeah. Um, so, also, by the way, the other thing I wanted to note is that this movie very weirdly, like, compresses the timeline, because, so based on watching yeah. the movie, how much time would you think took place between... Balian, you know, meeting up with his dad and his rapist dad and whatnot, and then the conquest of Jerusalem. Yeah, I would. So I'm going to use a little bit of logic here in this. Yeah. One, right. So he died. Oh, sorry. He, he met his dad in 1184 because we're told that at the very beginning. Taking into account that they're going to have to travel by horse from France to lower Italy. So we'll say a month, month and a half. Right. So. Well, it, let's just say it looked it looked cold, so we'll say it was like a March, right? So remember March eleven eighty four. He's in Italy in June eleven eighty four. He gets to Jerusalem. Uh, let's just conservatively say by the end of eleven eighty four, and then the entire rest of the movie takes place in the space of a month. Yeah, so you would think basically the entire movie covers a period of less than a year, less, less than a year, with a lot less of that being travel time. Yeah, eight to nine months with a bunch of travel time in it, yeah. The real conquest of Jerusalem is in 1187. I, do you know, I was just about to say that, because I knew uh, the real conquest of Jerusalem was 1187, <laughs> and I was sitting there going, it's definitely not three years. Like, I know it's three years, but that's not, three years have not passed in this book. Yeah, so they, this book, this they kind of very weirdly compress the timeline. Um, so, yeah, the only kind of real contention over... Um, the uh, over basically the terms of surrender is what exactly to do with the Frankish crusaders, not necessarily because he's going to kill them all, but because he could potentially, you know, take them as prisoners of war and hold them for a very, very high ransom and uh, instead allows them to return home safely in exchange for basically a very small per person ransom, Uh, Mm -hmm. like something that basically probably they each could like basically like pay him. So it's essentially like they all basically like pay him a tax to leave. Um. And by the way, he does that after Bailey and just says, so in the movie, he has this whole thing, like, I'm going to like burn the city to the ground to destroy everyone's holy places, like yours and mine alike. Nope. In real life, he just said, I have a lot of Muslim hostages and I'm going to murder them if you don't do this. Mm. <laughs> so well, that's what yeah. I, you know, I mean, let's just say it's just being pragmatic. I mean, you know, I, he's not an especially <laughs> great dude. Like, I'm not going to say like, I like him or anything, but like, it is a war. Like, that is basically what you would expect in the context of a war. But yeah, his especially whole, when, like, there's, when there's no Geneva Convention being right. signed. So, like, this is back when people could just do that. I mean, there's, like, some idea of there being, like, noble hostages in particular. And, like, those shouldn't be just kind of straight up killed. And that's considered inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
there really is this kind of effort being made in this movie to present him as this like paragon of religious tolerance. And he certainly yeah. was not that because nobody in the Middle Ages was that. Yeah, he, he he's painted as this like, oh, we're all equals, guys. We're all equals. But nah, he's not. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so they uh, leave um, uh, after. So the Crusaders mostly leave um, the, you know, various non-Frankish Christians are probably basically OK with this. The Muslims are probably mm-hmm. basically OK with this. There are all of these Jews who had been kicked out in 1099 and are living in kind of other places in the general area who are now allowed to resettle in the city of Jerusalem. They're probably pretty happy. Um, so, you know, this is the end of the Crusader Kingdom of Jerusalem is honestly probably really a good thing for most people involved. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, so Sibylla remained in the Middle East, uh, relocating to first Tyre and then Accra until her death uh, in an epidemic in 1190. And uh, despite the loss of the city of Jerusalem, people still really wanted to be called the King of Jerusalem. Uh, so even after Sibylla's death, Guy actually refused to give up the title. And Balian, who remained in the Middle East because he's not some weird northern French blacksmith, uh, was, you know, very much embedded in local politics until his death in 1190. And in particular, is very interested in trying to ensure the succession of his stepdaughter, Isabella. So this is mm-hmm. the half-sister of Sibylla and Baldwin by Balian's wife, Maria Comnena. Yeah. Um, so uh, she is now the kind of presumptive heir. They have a whole thing where they like annul her marriage because they decide they don't want that person to become king and then marry her someone named Conrad of Montferrat, who's an Italian nobleman who they decide they do want to be king. Richard I is not on board with this because he actually supports Guy de Lusignan. And so his court poets and chroniclers basically just wrote a bunch of nasty shit about Balian and Maria. So just, just, just a just a quick thing. So Isabella was going to be queen of Jerusalem. Yeah. So the assumption is basically that like women can be queen of Jerusalem and of these various crusader kingdoms, and often were. There's actually some uh, some great scholarship. There's a, a woman named Erin Jordan who has done a lot about uh, women nobles and queens in the crusader kingdoms. Um, awesome. But the assumption is that essentially, like that, especially in times of kind of military upheaval, of which there were plenty that if you were a queen, that you would have a husband who is going to be the person who is in practice responsible for the military stuff. Yeah. So Sibylla died. And even though Guy, so Guy was married to her, so he was only the king consort. Right. So his claim is actually really pretty tenuous at that point. True marriage. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was going to go to the other child of, um, so Sibylla's half-sister. Yeah, so the last remaining child of uh, Amalric I, who had been king, and then his son Baldwin became king, and then still, yeah. yeah. And then Sibylla. And um, and you mentioned to me that Isabella was married before, and she got married at the age of 11? Yes. So <laughs> Which is super this, gross. So they annulled that marriage, and this is her second marriage. Yeah. And she's 16? Yes. Right yes, I think that's about right. Maybe 17 or 18, yeah. Yeah, she'd be 17 because he refused to fight in, in the war in um, yeah. 1187. And this and it's 1193 
around about when Sibylla died. So. Yeah, so this poor woman is like 17 and this poor girl is like 17 and is on her second husband. Um, with She's yeah. getting through them. Like, how many husbands did she have by the end? Four. <laughs> she had four, four. actually. Oh, good, good job to you, <laughs> yep. Isabel. Yeah, she had four husbands uh, over the course of her life and oh, died in 1205 and it was only 32. What? That's sad. No. Yeah. All right, so she's she yeah, so she's older than I was imagining. Or she's thirty two when she so. dies. Uh, yeah, in twelve oh five. So yeah, so in so eleven ninety or whatever, she would have been nineteen. Yeah, so close enough. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, she would have been eighteen. So yeah, that's that's not quite as bad. But yeah, but she was yeah. eleven at her first marriage, which is gross. Not good. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah. Um, but yes, so, uh, because they were, uh, because Richard the Lionheart was a supporter of Guy de Lusignan, uh, far from like really wanting to get Bailey in on his side, he basically had his court poets and chronicles say nasty things about Bailey and his wife, Maria, mm-hmm. uh, which I've noted some, uh, Ambroise of Normandy called Bailey in more false than a goblin and said he should be hunted with dogs. Um, oh, yep. And a chronicle uh, referring first to Maria said, steeped in Greek filth from the cradle, she had a husband whose morals matched her own. He was cruel. She was godless. He was fickle. She was pliable. He was faithless. She was fraudulent. Wow. Yep. Mm, That last one almost rhymes. Yeah. It probably, maybe it might in Latin, actually. I'd have to double check the Latin. I bet it does. Yeah, I bet it rhymes in Latin. Um, Yeah, I bet it has like a really nice rhythm in Latin. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then he drops the mic and just walks off. Yep. But yeah, so uh, Balian does kind of die, uh, I think kind of relatively soon after that. Um, I think he's like in his 50s or so. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, the actual story of the conquest of the Muslim conquest of Jerusalem in 1187 and the people involved is, first of all, a lot more complex in a lot of ways in this movie. Um, It demonstrates a kind of very different understanding of, uh, you know, relations between different religious groups. Um, And also, ironically, the women in the 12th century had way more agency than the women in this movie made in 2005. Yeah. Also, there was more than one woman. So there were like three more than one woman how could there be more than one i know woman right in a movie like it's, crazy. it's not allowed uh, yeah um i yeah i think that might be the longest <laughs> section of talking about what they got right and what they got wrong ever because they yeah. got so much wrong and it is such an, an interesting story which we'll come to in our next section when we're talking about fabula nostra because i know you want to tell the yeah. story of what actually happened yeah so actually yeah we'll, we'll move on to there our next section is Fabula Nostra, where we're going to talk about a different version of the movie that has the same title, Kingdom of Heaven. Now, I'll start this week, um, and I'm going to run through it, because mine is a fluff piece. Um, I am going to get incredibly literal with this one, Mm -hmm. and I want the movie Kingdom of Heaven to actually be about the fall of Lucifer Mm. from heaven. So... My two main casting things are I need to cast God and I need to cast Lucifer, right? right? So um, I was thinking about this and I've decided I want to have 
Javier Bardem mm-hmm. play um, God in the movie. Which he's sort of done before. Which he has sort of done before. Mm. And I want um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan to play Lucifer. Mm. Because the two of them look a lot alike. Um, they're both decent actors. And they can both do a good job at what they want to do. So my entire story is about how Lucifer basically... So, right. Basically, heaven is run like a kingdom. So God is like the king. And then you've got, you know, knights, dukes, counts, barons, this whole lot. Angels of varying rank. Like, everybody's living a good life. There's no real poor people in heaven. But basically, Lucifer comes along and goes... Um, I don't think that the people down on earth are actually listening to what you want them to be listening to, God. And I want to go down and bitch slap them around a little bit. And then God says, I'm sorry, Lucifer. That's not how it's going to be. We, in the kingdom of heaven, don't really care about what's happening down on earth. And we're just going to make mm-hmm. it very cozy. Like, I don't know. He's going to say it in Javier Bardem voice. I don't really care. <laughs> and um, it's because he doesn't. And... The idea is that Lucifer actually wants to be more in touch with the humans. Now, I'm not saying he's necessarily a friendly and, um, shall we say, uh, what's the best way to describe it? Uh, hmm. He's not a genial uh, <laughs> angel at this point. Okay. He's, he's quite malignant towards him, but he does want to have more of a hand, mm-hmm. more of a direct touch. And God doesn't want him to do this. And that's why they fall out. Mm. But then Lucifer starts doing it behind his back and, and obviously cast some angels. So let's just say we have Holly Hunter in there. Um, let's put Charlize Theron in as an angel. Let's have Jude Law in there because uh, I like Jude Law. I think he's a good actor. Uh, we can put him there. Um, we can get David Thewlis in again just because, you know, Lupin needs to get more work. Yeah. People like that. So, you know, high level actors. And they are going to form this little breakaway group who start interacting and dealing with the humans so obviously we'll have to have some humans we'll probably have to like let's cast jeremy renner right like jeremy renner he's a human you know what i mean like i i can't imagine him being anything more than a human i feel like they even decided that in the avengers that they're like we want jeremy renner to be in this movie but like clearly he's not a superhero he's just just he's a human he can fire bows and arrows and everyone's like guns exist though right yeah, 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 yeah. But I've got I I I've I've thrown I I fire the arrows really good. But guns are real. The arrows are kinda like bombs. You know, like the Muslims arrows in this movie are just like oh, bombs. Oh yeah, the magic apparently. ones which just blow stuff up. And the bombs in uh, or the in the arrows in that um King Arthur movie we watched Legend <sighs> of the Sword where every time they hit something it exploded. But um yeah. So it's called Kingdom of Heaven. It's about the fall uh, from grace of Lucifer. I'm going to take it from um yeah, let's just say I take it from Milton's Paradise Lost Mm. but rather than having like fantastical demons and stuff we just have people who are trying to dox it I was thinking you might go get a little bit clever with it and start to going into like color changing and people like losing their glow when they start you know turning against God Mm. and not realizing that it's happening because they still see the glow around other people but can't see the glow around themselves that kind of stuff you know um basically it'd be a way to be tells and then it would lead to um a battle of wills between God and and Lucifer we know who's gonna win that yeah Lucifer obviously and that that's my movie so it's called Kingdom of Heaven and it's about it's about that so it's about stuff that's actually happening in heaven yeah that sounds fun I would definitely watch that Hmm. Oh, good. Now, sir, 
Uh, I was reading through yours. I was like, I would definitely watch this. Tell us, what would your kingdom of heaven be? So as I was doing the research, uh, the reason that the Historia at Veritas section was longer than it usually is, is because this is like a complicated, really interesting story. And I just kept coming across mm-hmm. things because initially I was like, oh, maybe I'll just kind of do it about Sibylla. But then it obviously brings up a lot of different things about connections to different people. And it just kind of kept going. Mm-hmm. So that made me think that I bet you could make a really great movie that actually uh, pretended to slight historical accuracy and was about the uh, 1187 conquest of Jerusalem. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things that's really cool is that first of all, I could have like three women with names in this movie who are all relatively important. What? Yeah. Three women. Yeah. Three. Um, yeah. Second, um, that I think you could do something interesting in terms of there really being kind of shades of gray in terms of, you know, all the crusaders are like by modern standards, honestly, probably kind of shitty, like. They are all mm-hmm. basically people who you probably by, you know, today's standards would essentially consider basically like religious zealots. Um, but, you know, they have a and they have like their own, you know, issues that they're kind of dealing with in internal conflicts, which are really not about, you know, one of them inherently being that much of a better person than another. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So we're we're doing this and it's going to be using the same character names as the movie we just watched. Yes, because those are their real names. Uh, with the exception okay. of, uh, I don't think I actually remembered to cast uh, Raymond of Tripoli, but uh, he would be now named Raymond of Tripoli instead of inexplicably be naming be named Tiberius. But mm-hmm. otherwise, they would have basically the same names. Sweet. Um, yeah, and but you know, but there would also be a couple of new characters, notably women, who got cut out of this movie for some reason, <laughs> probably <laughs> because they're women. <laughs> um. So mine would actually center on the conflict between, on the one hand, uh, Balian and his wife, Maria, and on the other, uh, Sibylla and Guy de Lusignan, because they are on the same side. The two of them are on the same side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided I wanted to cast Ewan McGregor as uh, Balian of Evelyn, uh, because uh, I... Wouldn't we all? Yeah, right. Uh, and I'm going to have Emily Blunt as his wife, Maria Comnena. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um Isabella, so that my uh, Isabella, the future uh, Queen Isabella of Jerusalem, so uh, Maria's daughter, uh, I'm going to have played by Maisie Williams, who uh, is, Mm -hmm. I think, a little Mm -hmm. older than Sibylla actually was, but plays pretty young. Yeah. So um, I think she would work really well. It's because she's got that round face. Yeah, like she seems very young and like, and you know, she's a really talented actress and I think she is fantastic on Game of Thrones. Yeah, she's all right. Yeah, I mean, I think she's fantastic, but I also have like a really soft spot for Arya, so... Yeah, I have a soft spot for Arya. She's my favorite nine-year-old. She's just like she's basically one of my favorite characters. Yeah, she's a really good character. I just yeah. uh, I I have a a long documented uh, history of hatred for um, George R. R. Martin yeah. and uh, making his characters children, like literal baby children. And then yeah. writing them doing stuff that they shouldn't have to ever have to do as child. And then yeah. claiming it's for historical accuracy back in the dragon times. Yep. Anyway, let's get away from Because, yep, uh, since, uh, yeah, apparently we can suspend our disbelief on having dragons, but we can't suspend our disbelief on basically 11-year-olds being raped, which eh, yeah, probably did exactly. basically happen yeah. to, poor, to poor Isabella since she was married and probably expected 11, to consummate the marriage right. at the age of 11. Uh, Okay. Anyway. Um, All right. So, uh, and all right. So Maisie Williams um, is going to be our Isabella. 
Uh, I'm going to let Eva Green reprise her role as uh, Sibylla uh, with the hopes that she will do better with less shitty material. Uh, I actually <laughs> like Eva Green in a lot of things. Um, so, and I'm going to have Chris Pine. Uh, Stick. <laughs> Chris Pine's dick is going to be Guy Delusignan because he's a dick. There we go. Get it? Because he's a dick. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, yes, yeah, so I think Chris Pine would be a good Guy Delusignan. And I think actually it would be interesting i'm not sure i've actually seen chris pine play just like a straight up asshole and i'd be interested to see him like playing a more a like i don't know less kind of nice person i'd be interested in seeing that um poor baldwin the fourth is uh uh you know not a role that's going to involve a lot of expressive facial expressions since uh he did in fact have leprosy um poor baldwin <laughs> so you're casting paul bettany i'm casting paul bettany uh first of all because uh i thought it was slightly funny because paul bettany keeps playing roles where they do weird things to his face uh there is actually true. an article that somebody that like somebody posted on facebook earlier today which was basically why do they keep putting these horrible things on paul bettany's face oh yeah there's one there's one like that for um um uh, Tom Hardy. Right. Just like, why did he keep covering up his beautiful face? Right. It's like, here he is in Venom, here he is his bed, etc. So uh, I'm going to be mean and I'm going to do that again to poor Paul Bettany. But I think that, you know, he's really talented and I think he could do a really good job of uh, still playing the role really compellingly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even having to rely just on voice and not being able to use facial expressions. Yeah, because he's a good, good actor. Yeah. Um, I think it would be fun for uh, Reynald de Chatillon to be played by Jeremy Irons, that Jeremy Irons gets to play the asshole now. Uh, Which he's He's so good at, at. exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm also going to uh, make the Patriarch of Jerusalem, uh, the Patriarch Heraclius, into a character. And I'm going to have him be played by Gary Oldman. Oh, yeah. Who I think, uh, I I really want to see Gary Oldman playing, like, playing a patriarch. You know, so I could yeah, see that. I, I could see yeah, that. Yeah. I, I want to see Gary Oldman as a churchman. Uh, and finally, uh, since you know we are now 13 years after this movie, I'm gonna have Alexander Siddig get a promotion, and uh, he now is going to be <laughs> Saladin now because he is now of the uh, of the age that he's getting to the age where he can play Saladin. Oh, sweet! So he's getting promoted as well. Loads of people are getting getting a change up here, um, except for Eve Green. She's stuck with Sibylla. But I think Sibylla, I mean, but Sibylla is going to be a much more interesting character who's going to have much more agency in this movie than she did in the original Kingdom of Heaven. Eva Green's like, but I could be Maria. But I think like it'll be really cool to have that scene where basically everyone's like, okay, yeah, Sibylla, like you're gonna divorce Guy the second we crown you, right? And she's like, oh yeah, definitely. And then she's gonna be like, surprise, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> like I think that'd be a Chris great Pine's scene. Like, I'm the king now, <laughs> the outlaw king. <laughs> he is the outlaw king. <laughs> and this is my dick. <laughs> Exactly. We can we can have like a you know another shot of Chris Pine's dick, uh, you know, which we all need. Yeah, of course, yeah. He has Might as well get in some. If we're gonna do that, let's get some Eva Green boobs in. And we can, yeah. Because I haven't I haven't seen them enough in uh, every movie. Um, <laughs> exactly. I mean, we didn't I, see it much I, in this movie. No, we didn't. Just I, just in case I, I was I was being facetious there. <laughs> I don't need to see boobs in movies. And Eva Green is a very beautiful and talented actress. Um, Let's get on to our rating system because I can't wait for this. Uh, Estimatio. Now, we 
we give a rating from one to five. Every now and then you can give an exceptionally low rating of zero. Um, I don't think we've really discussed maybe giving it an extra high rating of six. Um, one day we'll watch something would. that deserves that. Well, I watched The 13th Warrior two days ago. So mm. yeah, it definitely deserves six out of five. Um, Sarah, do you want to give a six to this movie? Oh God, no. Because uh, it's <laughs> it being your favorite movie of all time. This is not my favorite movie of all time. It might be my least favorite movie of all time. Mm. So my memory... But it, but if you do this, doesn't that mean you have to bump up yeah. another movie that I know you hate? So I need to think... I'm thinking through this. Um, and so when I first saw this movie, and like the main thing I remembered about this movie was just being really annoyed about a lot of the kind of little things, um, as well as the kind of like, you know, let's make this a commentary on modern, you know, interreligious relationships and Middle East conflict. But I was like, this is really dumb. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember at the time being quite as horrified about what they do with women in this movie. And that was honestly, you know, it was the historical inaccuracies combined with that, that led me to bring King Arthur legend of the sword, uh, down to a zero and making that my one zero. This movie, unlike that one does pass the if Decker test. But in some ways... No, but the, there should be a caveat to the if Decker No, I mean, there's not a caveat. The only named yeah. woman survives. Well, the only named woman and also the extent to which agency is taken away from this woman, mm -hmm. even compared to the real woman in the 12th century, is utterly horrifying. That she really has no agency in this movie. That the only thing she does that she seems to have any control over is basically sleeping with Orlando Bloom. And she doesn't even get to, like, marry him because of that. She still gets stuck being married to the person that she clearly hates and even has to crown him as king. Speaking of caveats, just this, yeah. this just popped into my head um, and the If Decker test. In the Bechdel test, is there a little sideline to the Bechdel test where... So obviously anyone who, who's listening probably knows the Bechdel test means that a movie will only pass the Bechdel test if two female characters have a conversation that's not about a male character at some stage yeah. during the movie. Is Do they have a side thing on it which says if there's only one female character in the movie, it doesn't even qualify <laughs> For the back yeah, I mean that. I mean that's obvious. I would say is that like you know, I mean that comes up all the time in like the podcast, the Bechdel cast that I listen to. Um, mm. That you know, all like there are a lot of movies actually that just only basically have one woman, so they pretty much automatically don't pass the Bechdel test. Uh, they also, I think, have been kind of interesting in terms of introducing like potential caveats in some ways that like, okay, so obviously it doesn't pass the Bechdel test if you know two women have a conversation, but they're talking about a man. And they've also kind of questioned, but should it really pass if like women are talking about basically just their physical appearance with the presumption in the movie almost always being that they're interested in their physical appearance as a way to please men? Yeah, um, which is why women care about their physical appearance. I mean, in movies, at least, uh, not not in real life necessarily. In but, the uh, real life. No, I'm doing it for other women. No, you're not. Well, you know, some I mean, are you doing it for yourself? Yourself, mm. we talk about you. My you my self confidence. Self confidence. That self confidence you know, eyeliner. You know what you're hiding. Like it's, it doesn't make any sense. 
No, it's just, I just like, I just like how I look better with eyeliner. I assume most men do not notice eyeliner and probably many I, like other women don't necessarily notice my eyeliner either. As a, as a man who wears a significant amount of eyeliner, I, I've <laughs> like David Boreanaz eyeliner. and I, Buffy. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying it that I wouldn't wear eyeliner. I just wouldn't have the balls to put a pencil near my eye. Um, oh, I could teach you. Because, <laughs> no, Sarah, <laughs> please don't. My, you've, I don't know if anyone's, like most people, I, wait, if anyone's ever, I don't know if Sarah's ever seen my handwriting. None of you people listening have seen my handwriting. It's a beautiful, elegant cursive that I use. But straight lines are not a forte of mine. It's not straight, it's a um, slight curve. Uh, yours aren't straight. Uh, you've seen my eyes, these little, tiny little No, you, you still, you still got, a, you got a little curve there. But anyway, let's get back <laughs> anyway, to Anyway, now after right. this long digression, Are you giving this... Are you giving this a zero? I think I'm going to make this my zero. I am infuriated by the way this movie treats women. And I'm also infuriated about how this movie treats history. In some ways, I think the history makes it makes me angrier than King Arthur, because this is actually like a real historical event that they could have made such an interesting movie if they'd actually made a movie about that historical event. And instead, mm-hmm. they just ruined it. And it's so bad. So you are saying that this is zero and King Arthur Legend of the Sword is five out of five. No, no. <laughs> King one, Arthur is now one, one out, of out of five. It does, not, it does five. not go back up to five. Yeah, I, I just assumed it just cycled around. <laughs> um, so it's now one out of five, yeah. right? Yeah, no, I can I can take that. I can see this, right? Um, now, my zero out of five is steadfastly staying as zero out of five. Even with the Stadium Star, it should have got a minus movie. So In the Name of the King and Dungeon Siege Story is still the worst movie we have covered. Um, this I'm going to give a one out of five. Uh, so loads of people say, oh, whoa, you should watch the director's cut. I've seen the director's cut. I've seen the director's cut of this movie. It's an extra half hour that only adds in a couple of little scenes. I say little scenes. Some of them are like 10 minutes long that are just annoying. They're not, they don't, like oh it's a better movie yes it's got a better overall structure as a movie but it still doesn't make it a better movie it just makes it a longer movie like right. what it adds to it takes away in the fact that you're then sitting for three hours and 15 minutes or whatever it happens to be to watch the end of it so it's not it's not significantly better yeah. um this movie is overly long it's overly simplified and then somehow complicates itself in its own storytelling even the characters don't seem to agree with their own motivations. Like they're trying to start a war that they actively say, we are going to get crushed. No tactician in the history of the world would sit there and go, I am going to make the choice. Because again, can't point this out enough. It's the crusaders who decide to go and attack Saladin. And their plan is to walk through the desert for 10 hours before the battle because they want to surprise Saladin. And I'm like, you're surprising him with tired, thirsty, half-dead soldiers. Right. I think, so I actually need to kind of look up the details. I think something like that actually did happen, that they were actually really dumb about that battle. Uh, but with the exception of uh, that, if you actually took the real motivations and choices and actions of these characters, they largely make a great deal more sense in yeah, reality they, they than they do be. in this movie. In reality, yeah. In reality, the the stuff that I read, because um, after reading your notes, it was like, actually, this is really interesting. So I went and did my own research. Not 
not better researched than Sarah's because she'd look up proper historical stuff. I'd look up stuff that was written by dudes who were like, uh, yeah, I'm going to turn this into a little story for people, right? And, and the stuff I've read, it's genuinely interesting. Yeah. I'm like, wow, yeah, I want to get in some of this. Like, which is why I would definitely watch Sarah's movie. Um, but yeah, it's, look, guys, it's not the worst movie. I don't think it's in the bottom two movies we've seen. Um, but this is, 100% as bad if not worse than Robin Hood it's and definitely worse than that and honestly it's like I feel like it's less fun I feel that I feel like King Arthur Legend of the Sword at least had a couple of things here and there that were fun yeah it it, it did have fun stuff and this was just and a I slog David Beckham, this is, it was a slog I said it's worse than Robin Hood which was one of the worst movies we'd seen up until this point it's not as bad to me as in the name of the king, a dungeon seat. That story. is definitely a worse movie. This one just annoyed me more. Yeah. Well, that the the problem with the other one was it's just yeah. Opie agrees <laughs> is that it's just so bad. The dungeon siege one that I I can't take it serious. So yeah, this here this is one of the five second worst movie that we've seen. Yeah. So. Don't watch this movie. <laughs> no, no. But do watch this movie. Well, watched it. Watch this movie. Maybe what? Watch it, everybody. Watch hate it. Hate watch this movie. We should organize. We should organize a group watch. Some oh god, we should we all watch this and just de- whoever's in the Facebook group just insult the crap. Yeah, out of this movie. just tear into it. So <laughs> you should watch this movie if we do a group watch at some point. Otherwise, you might not want to watch this movie. But you should continue to listen to our podcast and you should join our Facebook group where maybe one day we will have a group watch of this terrible movie. Uh, Also, if you enjoy us, you should rate and review us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. And you should follow and connect with us on uh, Twitter at Media Evil Pod. That's M-E-D-I-A-E-V-A-L-P-O-D. Also, if you have any kind of feedback or questions or suggestions for us, uh, please do send us an email. We are at yeah. media.evilpod at gmail.com. Yeah, get in contact with us, people. We, we Both of us uh, love interacting with people who are listeners. And uh, anytime we post about it in any of the various Facebook groups we're in, don't be afraid to get in and, and give us your, your responses on, on what the episode is like. And if we're doing anything that you think we need to improve on, so, for example, if I'm talking too much, just, just you know, say, hey, Ollie, Sarah's, Sarah's the one with all the smarts here. Like you keep 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 quiet. tendencies which is that i should talk more but i'm i'm perfectly happy talking less so yeah um get back and give us as much feedback as you want and rate review and subscribe us if you happen to use itunes yeah uh sarah where can people find you on the internet uh people can find me on twitter and instagram and facebook under my real name i am at sarah if decker uh and yeah please you know feel free to reach out to me and uh you know let me know if I'm very boring when I talk about the Middle Ages or if my dog is making too much noise with a squeaky toy. And Oh, I'll cut most of that. <laughs> and Ollie, where else can they find you on the internet? You can find me at my other podcast. It's called Best Acquaintances, where myself and my friend Emily, and we talk to people that we know from internet groups, and it's a lot of fun. Um, you can also just find me on the internet. Just look for Ollie Brady. Uh, there's not too many other Ollie Brady's. That's O-L-L-I-E, um, not O-L-L-Y. Uh, <laughs> And 
God, anybody who'd name themselves Ollie with a Y. <laughs> Commoners. It's like the Sarah's um, without an H. The Sarah's. I am Sarah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, look, just we probably have listeners named both of those. So it's fine. You're all lovely people. Name name yourself whatever you want. Um, especially if you're a girl, call yourself Isabella. <laughs> As like um, all women. Like all women should be. Um, Sarah, always a pleasure. You too. And, and wait, yes, what are we going to do next week? What are we doing? Oh, God, we completely <laughs> forgot about yeah. this. What movie should we do next week, Sarah? I don't know. <laughs> should we do next week? Do we want to? I I say, I say, mm-hmm. I say this. We watch the new Robin Hood. Yes. Let's do it. Because I've heard some good, bad things about it. Yeah. And what one person told me was, Ollie, you're going to hate this movie. <laughs> But you're also going to love this movie because apparently it's just so ridiculously stupid that it's like it's it's almost infectious. So if you get in on board with it. So I think I think I might end up liking this movie. I saw the trailer for this movie before. I don't know, maybe seeing Solo and yeah, that's it was right. Like the too. highlight Solo was fine. But like seeing the trailer was like the highlight of that experience. So I am so excited to watch this movie. I, I kind of like Solo. I like Solo okay. I have issues that are not related to the specific podcast, actually, with like the way they deal with women in Solo. But the, There is a good thing. Does Solo count as a medieval movie because it was in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago? It's like the Middle Ages. Rel- it's a prequel, so it's like the Middle Ages relative to the other Star Wars movies, right? Sweet. We, we, it definitely covers. We're, guys, next week we're doing Solo <laughs> a Star Wars story. So, anyway, Sarah, always a pleasure. You too. Again. And uh, we'll chat to you next week. All right, yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye.